Hey guys, what's going on? Uh, Los Angeles Whip Cracking Convention is in nine days. So I hope you all are ready. I got to sit down with my good friend Blake Bruning of the Trinity Whip Company. And we discussed a lot of stuff concerning kangaroo hide bullwhip making. Because Blake Bruning specializes in that. So I'm going to shut up now. And uh, let you guys listen to how the interview went. I'm Nick Schrader, and you are listening to Whipcast. All right, guys, thank you so much for clicking play on episode six of Whipcast. I'm sitting alongside my good friend, whip maker and owner of the Trinity Whip Company, Mr. Blake Bruning. Good to have you, brother. Glad to be here, Nick. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely, man. How's your Christmas? Uh, I was. Uh, it was cold. Yeah, it was fun. You know. Yeah. Christmas is always a good time of year. Good and the bad. It's always fun. Absolutely. Drive up here, okay? Is I-65 still a giant uh, construction site? Surprisingly, you know, it quit snowing the past two days, and we chose a good day to drive in it. So it was it's pretty much clear sailing. Perfect. Don't worry about much anything other than being cold. Yeah, one degree, I think. Minus <laughs> two during the night. <laughs> well, cool, man. Where did you grow up? Um, what did you like to do as a kid? Uh, I grew up in Morristown, Indiana, which is about 25 minutes southeast of Indianapolis. Uh, I was born in a St. Francis hospital. Uh, well, I was adopted. So when I was born, I was in a kind of, it's not really an orphanage, but it's a place for the old baby. So adopted. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's, I think it's St. Francis, Indianapolis, but I think it's where all the Catholic girls go when they were naughty. And then they, they, <laughs> they decide to, you know, let the kid go on instead of what unfortunately people do and have abortions. But, uh, so I was put up for adopted and landed up in Morristown, Indiana under Joe and Loretta Bruding, who own a farm equipment dealership. And, you know, they also, you know, have a small farm. And, and I had a sister who was also adopted then, too, because they just weren't able to have kids. And she was four years older. Her name's Stacy. Mm. And uh, I, I grew up there um, pretty much my whole life. By the time I was three, we were in the area, but by the time we were three, we've been in the house I grew up my whole life in. So I didn't have to move around a lot or yeah. have different houses. You know, it was always a stable home. And uh, what I did as a kid, sorry, the second part of that. Uh, you know, uh, I would say that... <laughs> You know, I, I was very, what's the word for it? I was left to my own devices. You know, they uh, they worked hard. My dad always worked hard. He'd uh, sleep maybe four hours a night. He'd, he'd be up by 4.30 or 5, and he'd get home around 2.30. He'd shower, he'd sleep, get up. I mean, he'd literally live on some days, three hours sleep, and wow. work, work like crazy. So she was always busy. My mom helped with the place, so I was left alone a lot. And uh, just, you know, when you're out, kind of, we weren't like deep country, like you hear about like, oh, they're up in the hills mm-hmm. or Arkansas, but you know, there, there was nothing around and we're talking, you know, I'm 40, you know, 41 now. So when we grew mm-hmm. up in the uh, early to late eighties, you know, you didn't have all the access and availability of the internet. So you, you know, you, you either caught TV when you caught or you spent most of your time just trying to pass away the, well, you know, time away best could be. But uh, you right. know, I knew from an early age, I, I really love martial arts and uh, I watched a Bruce Lee film when I was seven. I think I was on a summer night, and I, or maybe it was winter, I can't remember, but I was up till 2, 2 a.m. watching it when I saw it. And then my dad woke up to do a random, <laughs> in his four-hour sleep, go ahead and take a break and go out and check on some things for an hour. And he saw me watching it, and when it finished, I just went with him and fell asleep. But since then, I was always drawn to Bruce Lee and learning martial arts, and until I was 16, I started that. But, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I would encourage my mom to buy me ninja boots, and she's like, well, Chris, I'm like, I want, I want nunchucks. I'm like, I have three sectional staff. Hey, yeah. I, I want some throwing stars, and she, she kind of indulged me, but I didn't really get cultivated until I was 16, and then 
but I would say that skateboarding before that, and I just did some other things here and there in sports. I mean, I wasn't obsessed with video games, you know, just whatever we grew up in the 80s, what yeah. you could do. But martial arts became really important at 16. By 13, it was more skateboarding, but it all kind of helped lead the way to where I am today. Yeah, so you, you could say you were, you were pretty active as a child, and, and martial arts was kind of a big thing. Sports, you were an outdoors guy, maybe. Uh, I really wouldn't say I was that outdoors. You know, yeah. like, I don't, I mean, I've camped, but I don't, we never really camped. You know, we, we just kind of sit on the farm. So, like, I'd go in the woods with my friends. You know, we, we, we did some kid hunting. <laughs> yeah. You know, they had a BB gun or we had a 22. We I didn't I, I killed some things a few times with them with a friend of mine that always did it. Then after I I did a couple times like I just don't want to be about killing animals. Right, right. It kind of ended it for me pretty quick, but you know, uh, you know, I, I could you know, we spent a lot of time outside cuz there really wasn't anything to do, but you know, mm -hmm. it's not like we had a grand thing like we're going to go hitchhiking or I mean we're going to go camping, we're going to go kayaking. Hey, we're going to you know, just like you just had to entertain yourself however you could, whether it's tying a rope to a Hey, loft and swinging out of the loft like Batman to, you know, run around. I mean, whatever you could <laughs> do, you know, riding a three-wheel or anything you could find to entertain yourself was yeah. to pass the time, you know. Awesome. So fast forward a little bit here. What made Blake Bruning decide one day, I want to start making whips? Talk a little bit about that. Uh, well, um, I got into whips, I would say, almost 10 years ago. And uh, that as far as just cracking whips and knowing I could crack whips because I had no idea you could crack a whip. You know, mm -hmm. uh, like, I mean, you watch, I grew up loving, I will say that, Indiana Jones is a huge influence as a kid as far as loving, you know, the Raiders and, and the Temple of Doom. Crusade came out when I was like 13. I saw that in theaters. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, you just never think about it. And I think that's why whip, whip cracking isn't really popular because there's nowhere anyone sees it in a media to where it makes it sound like something you could do and is easy to do and you could just grab a whip from anywhere and do it. Right, right. It's not very much access or availability. And so I don't think it dawns on people to crack whips. So anything else you see, it like, well, that's in a movie. Of course, Indiana Jones has a whip, but you never, yeah. you never really think much about it. And then, uh, and then I went, went to Disney Studios as a kid once. My parents, the only vacation I ever had, where I actually went to a park besides King Island, like once. So mm -hmm. we went there, and I went to the show. And then I wanted to come back with a hat when I was a kid, and they didn't let me. So just really quick to say, when I was an adult, I went there and I said, "Hey, kids, we're here." I'm not going to say a word. You pick any souvenir you want, but I'm coming back with that Indiana <laughs> Jones hat. And so I came back to it and I teach uh, martial arts to kids. And so we were going to have a Halloween party uh, that I re had regularly. So I thought, well, I got a leather coat and uh, I got a hat. I'm like, let's just get a whip. So I got on YouTube and found an Adam Winrich video of, you know, hello, I am Adam Winrich. And the here's classic. how you crack a whip or a bull whip. And then he yep. goes through all his spiel. And I thought, oh, I can do that. And so I, I didn't have a Facebook account then. So I had my wife contact him and or through him, I contacted him through a messenger and asked what I should get, and he recommended a couple things, and then that kind of got me into it for about six years, and then that six hmm. years, I had maybe uh, 200 whips passed through my hands, and wow. I know it sounds like a lot, but it's not like I bought 200, I have what I call a floater whip, I encourage people that if you're getting into whip cracking, and it can be an expensive hobby, find people near you, find people around you, it's good to see other people's stuff that they have to get a better understanding before you even spend a dollar, but mm -hmm. if you are alone, you can't do it, and you finally save up for a big purchase whip, and you love it, that's great, and if you want a second, I say, have about a $300 fund and then buy a whip with it, but don't plan on keeping it. Just buy a whip of a different length because you never had a different length. And then yeah. if you love it, trade out the one you have. If not, you sell it. Maybe you make $20, maybe you lose $20, mm -hmm. but it's the price of renting a whip and now you try a new whip. So for about six years, I went through about 200 whips. And uh, my third whip was a Joe Strain 8-foot uh, Raiders and 12-ply. And uh, that, that to me, even after I went through my 200 whips, I always came back to thinking that just what it was about Joe Strain felt alive or great in my hand. And not that I didn't try a lot of other great whip makers and there's not good things, but it's just Joe Strain stuff always seemed for me to be just exactly what a whip should be like. And and when I found out he was retiring, and I want to say it was 2000, uh, 
13, I found out he was retiring and 14 or he's trying to. And, uh, I, I realized at that point, I'm like, if I can't get another Joe strain whip, what am I going to do? Now I know there's <laughs> plenty of other whip makers, but that kind of made me freeze. And then, uh, you know, at the same time, other things were working where Steve Townsend was a whip maker was pretty new at this time. He was probably on like his eighth whip or so when I, re- I found out he lived near me and was making them from club obi-wan i found him huh. and then uh after talking to him and i said hey can i shadow you and so he let me come over and after he showed me some basics i, I went after about six hours just getting a core a belly braided and a first bolster i went home and spent another 12 hours not sleeping until i made that whip the next morning at like yeah. 10 a.m wow, and i finally man. got some sleep but after that i was pretty much hooked and yeah. uh, i did have a whip kit probably uh, maybe after four years of cracking whips or three, I bought a whip kit, like a really cheap one off eBay. I mean, I did huh. make a whip then, but after I made it, I'm like, I'll never be a whip maker. I don't ever want to be a whip maker. Yeah, we all say <laughs> that, don't we? The first time. whip maker is worth their weight in gold, <laughs> and I never want to ever have to deal with this experience right. again. Right. And, uh, you know, but I, my hat goes out to all those people that do learn from YouTube or yeah. just decide from seeing a movie, decide I'm going to find out how to make one. Um, I, I don't think I could have done it that way. Um, what made me really be who I was was Steve Townsend of Townsend Handcrafted Whips let me into his house and actually getting to see the problems I, that I couldn't understand on my own brain. Like, how do I continue the whole overlay around one right. skin or how do I lash it to a handle? But yeah. that little few hours he gave me, um, you know, launched it. And so I'm very thankful and beholden to Steve Townsend for opening his house and family me. But yeah. once that happened, I just took off, man. Absolutely. That's great. So about four years, you, you would say, before you, you got into whips, you, you experienced um, 200-some whips, you got to see how they were made. That's And to have that experience before you go into making a whip, I'm sure that helped you so much. It kind of did. Um, I would say that it, it was more of a wasted experience compared to if I knew I was making because right. to see those 200 but to never see a whip. Because like, mm-hmm. I could only judge what I think the average whip cracker can is yeah. when I have a whip in my hand. I can only really, I don't, you know, like people don't really look at their whip. I mean, they'll eyeball it, but they don't really see where's, where's the plats, where's the drops, where's the consistency, where, where's the taper of it. Like they just crack a whip and it either feels good or it don't. It's like putting on a shoe. I like this shoe. I don't like that one. And, and so those 200 whips, I, I was just trying to find out what shoes felt good. Yeah. And it turned out to be Joe Strain and there's some other good guys I found, but Joe always seemed to be the best fit for me. And uh, the problem is, after that process, when I finally started getting a whip maker's eye by trying to make a whip, I realized I could have had a huge education mm-hmm. if I would have spent those first six years with all these whips, actually looking at these whips and taking dimensions or recognizing right. how they were shaped. So it, it did help in ways, but it, it would have been a lot better if I would have known from mm-hmm. the start, I might make a whip one day and let's take all these yeah. pictures and these dimensions of all these 200 whips. And, right. You know, so. Of course, now you have that whip maker's eye, so you can, you can see those details that you might... Not a lot better. Able you, to know, see. you can only see so much from a picture, but you know, it, you, you can see a lot from it too. You know, I wouldn't yeah. be able to see anything at that point. Like I couldn't even know how to tell it was a twelve plat. You know, like yeah. is a twelve plat. Yeah. What's it in on eight, twelve? How do I count? <laughs> you know, six. How do I do right. that? You know, it's just, you know, it doesn't take a lot to know about it. But you know, if you don't know, you you don't know, so you can't see it. You know, and then once it's pointed out, then it's painfully obvious. Mm. Now, what parts or part of of the wit making process would you say? was the most challenging for you when you were starting like what was there was there something that frustrated you the most that was the the 
the toughest learning curve? I can tell you mine right now, not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first of all, uh, just before I forget, I've only been making whips for four years. And actually, this will be the fourth year today, actually. Or yesterday is the fourth year on the dot. It was between Christmas and New Year's, and I think it was a Tuesday. Yeah. And I finished that Wednesday morning at Steve's exactly four years ago. And uh, wow. it's not a long time in making whips. There's a few others you know, that are like that that are pretty well known. Like Peter Thorndike, I think he's uh, four to five years, which is phenomenal. Uh-huh. You know, and how, how good he is in a short time. So I've been very blessed with these four years. Um, and as far as what was the most frustrating is, uh, I think a lot of things when you, you come to master things eventually as time goes by, you know, when you, when you see something as a noob, you know, you know, it's not the same as a mastered person. But when I first started seeing how it making was done and I originally had that kit, just having that kit to put together, I started thinking that all the hard stuff was, man, braiding is hard. Mm-hmm. Putting these knots on is hard. And I'm like, wow, there's no, you know, whip making sucks. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> who would ever torture themselves with this process? And then, uh, so when you, when I went into it, I was thinking, oh, that's going to, that hard stuff, man, I don't want to do that hard stuff, the braiding and the knot making. And, yeah. and I said, I'm going to try it. And then I, I found out that all the things that I thought were hard were actually very easy. <laughs> and then the ones that I thought would be easy were actually the very difficult thing, yeah, like getting yeah. it cut and stretched and prepping and lashing right and, and getting it so it all fits around what you're going to braid. And that braiding is really the easy work, you know, because you'll get a guy every now and again be like, hey, I want you to make a whip kit. You sell an eight foot for 500, let's say it's 550, like 550. How much you want for an eight foot whip kit? They're thinking like, yeah, $100 on that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, the, the material loans could be two, could be 150 to two, depending on what all I, I paid for it and I gave it to you. So it's like, you know, two to fifty. Let's just say two fifty. You know, it's like we're shipping it to you too. That's two fifty. So it's like, so now you, you know, and then I'm like, well, now I took, I did all the hard work. I cut it, I stretched it, I prepped it. It's ready to braid. I mean, all you gotta do is braid, and I made you the knots. It's like, so for like four hundred and fifty, <laughs> I'll give you the whip kit. Like I'm not saving any money. I'm like you. I'm doing all the hard work. What you think? Which I thought was the hard work was braiding is actually the easiest work that you can sit back and get in a rhythm. Everything else takes a lot more preparation and time yes. and yes. you know effort. It's not as effort. It doesn't take as much effort when you're better at it and you've been seasoned. But it's it's still that's still the most important part is all the prep work. Yeah, yeah, that is absolutely a huge part of it. Yeah, as as a nylon whip maker, you know preparation is not nearly as as big as a part as a leather whip maker. You know, I mean that's. We're talking a whole kangaroo skin that you have to, you have to cut each individual strand. It or, would be hard if you had to cut your nylon lace. <laughs> oh man, yeah, weave your own. <laughs> Even if it's all one length, this is the fact that you had to like yeah. make your lace. Like I gotta make my nylon today. We're gonna yeah. spend all day making nylon. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Blake, you're a very uh, innovative craftsman. I feel like a lot of whip makers kind of stick to just the basics of you know, here's a handle, here's the whip. It's a plated handle, plated thong, you know. But I, I really like what you're doing with your your paladin and your saber whip line. I've never seen it before done. And it, talk a little bit about those. What are those? Uh, okay. Uh, uh, I, I would say that. Well, first of all, before we get any deeper, I just want to say that you know I'm, I'm a huge fan of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And uh, with with that being said, I give all credit to just you know God's blessing and, and Christ's anointing and, and just all the people that got me here to this point as well you know, family as well as, you know, other people in my life that are good influences or help me out along my way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, uh, but, um, with, uh, my whip making career, um, you know, Joe String once said, you got to make the whips that people want so you can make the ones you want. And so you tend to make, you know, a whip maker does kangaroo tends to make a lot of Indiana Jones whips. And I've been pretty fortunate that I'm about to make my 500th whip. Congratulations. And I was, I was going to do it as a, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Uh, I was going to do it as a crowning point this week. But uh, out of those 500, I would say that I've only made about 100 and, 
50 Raiders, which has been phenomenal for me. Um, while sometimes, if you have seen my collection, it is very, very unique and abstract, and I've got a lot of different, as you said, series and crazier stuff. And, and it's been a blessing and a curse, but, but I'd say it's, uh, I've been very fortunate that I've had, uh, I've used what I've done to when I don't have orders to try to create or invent things that I've never seen that I just wanted to be made. And uh, some of these came my way in different ways, but I've been very fortunate on also having a lot of customers that want something a little more wild, a little bit more off the cuff than just a simple Raider. And, and all that's helped me to really explore and spread rings. Um, the Saber Whip was actually what got me to making lightsaber whips. Well, uh, first of all, I've always loved Star Wars and I've, I've read probably a hundred audio books of the stories. I mean, who isn't a Star Wars fan? Yeah. Uh, maybe you Trekkies out there, but you know, there's... <laughs> is there but, conflict yeah, between... But, <laughs> I think there is. There's you know, movies on that stuff. Trekkies versus Trekkers or the track oh, or no. Star Wars versus... But, uh, but I you know Trek's cool too. But uh, but I've always been a Star Wars fan and then uh, I was visiting Adam Winrich and uh, he was talking about uh, making that, the, you know, they make these lightsabers and that you could easily maybe stick a whip in there kind of like a cow whip. You know, mm -hmm. he's never done it, but he said, I'm he told me when I was visiting, he's like, man, I'm surprised you haven't. He's like, I'm surprised no one's done it. But he mm -hmm. said, I'm surprised you haven't done this, Blake. I mean, knowing hmm. who you are, because I made a lot of these crazy theme whips within my first 60, you know, I got to get these, had Bernie make me these Pharaohs like yeah. Autobots logo or Thundercats or G.I. Joe, and I'd make these like, yeah. you know, classic, I, I was going to call them like the vintage classic cartoon themed whips, you know, or something like that. But, uh, but uh, when he suggested doing that, you know, I, I started getting into figuring out how to make a saber whip, and I had to make a custom plastic piece to make it work the way I want. But it was Adam that kind of led me into that thinking, and then within like two weeks, I, I started buying sabers to get to know them better. I started trying to figure out ways to put it together until I customized that. And the, the uh, sword handle whip kind of came from an idea to me when I was talking to a, a guy briefly, a movie producer, he was talking about this uh, Western he was wanting to make one time, or he's planning on making it, and uh, I'm not really going to talk too much about it, not that I'm involved with the movie, mm -hmm. but when I was thinking about it, I'm like, what well, would be an awesome whip for a Western, and I was thinking, man, I want to see a nice D-guard, like a Civil War, like that'd be an awesome thing no one's done, and so to actually get a handle with a D-guard, like a, uh, somebody would be in the West or Civil War time, but have a whip on it as his weapon, and and so I kind of got me thinking about it. And then uh, I, I know somebody probably has took an old broken down sword and like removed the blade and tried to attach a whip yeah. to it before. But these are actually, uh, I'm, I'm using uh, Joe Henry. So shout out to Joe Henry from uh, Stonehill Armory. And uh, he, he's actually making these custom sword handles with a, the, the spike I want that I normally would braid on kind of sticking out of the handle. So it's, mm -hmm. it's got a hidden tang basically. So it is a steel spike with a tang that has a sword handle on it and then I just sprayed over it kind of like a nail but it's got its own obstacles so very cool but I haven't seen one do that yet where they made a whole series of a complete custom craft as opposed to hey I found this at a found this at a flea market and let's see if we can put a whip on it you yeah know? I really like that because it kind of because it's a handle of a sword it's sort of not forces you, but it really encourages you to use the, to have the whip roll out the same every time. You know, yeah, finding the line on the I believe they call it profiling or the indexing yeah. on the handle. Yeah, it does. Yeah. You know, it is good to have that. I think that could help people. Yeah. So you've got a a, a page on your website called the Mystery Whip Ordering oh. Page. <laughs> I think that's that's really cool. Talk, what what is that? What do we got going uh, on? I uh, I have three daughters. Uh, one's one's about to be fourteen, and like four days and then I've got uh, another one that's nine and then I've got another one that's three and uh, uh, I've been they, they love watching this thing called Cookies for C on YouTube where uh, she buy she gets all these like Shopkins or LOL dolls or they get all these gifts and this girl basically has millions and millions of viewers and makes her living and just people send her stuff to open you know for her YouTube channel 
And I was just marveled at how they would watch her unwrap all these toys. And I'm like, you know, wouldn't you want your own toy? And they're like, well, it's almost the same. Recently, I finally started getting it. Uh, what I got is they just like the idea of the surprise of what's in there. It's like they, right. they don't, they're with her watching it. To them, they are opening it with her. Mm-hmm. And so they enjoy that mystery of what's going to come out of that pack. Yeah. And then, you know, I, 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 I went ahead and made this uh, mystery whip gag because I realized some people, <laughs> a lot of people won't agree with it, but they're like, I think some people could like the idea of kind of having a mystery. And, and, you know, because it's that whole thing, like, I don't know what I'm going to get, but I know it's going to be a good whip by right. a good maker I like. I can't wait to see what it is. And, uh, I, you know, I could see a lot of people being like, well, if I'm going to spend, you know, 300 or 500, I want to know exactly what I'm getting. And I'm, I see that, but, it, you know, I haven't made uh, like I have three tiers, each one has thirty whips, but I haven't made these ninety whips, people. You know, like they're they're set up that I, I went ahead and cast lots like in this tier one, which is the cheap one for three hundred. Like I have I have like uh, I think fifteen of them are only four footers, which I usually sell for three three twenty five. So no matter what, yeah. uh, you you know you're getting more, you're you're getting a value because if you bought what you did want, it would cost more. So you're I'm cheapening them up for the whole. You get a mystery of it. Yeah. And then I kind of set up different things. Like even though a four foot's only 300, well, I also have in there several six feet you can buy. Mm-hmm. So when you get a mystery rip, I have 30 different lots already set up what it could be. And then you, I'm going to roll a dice when someone buys it. And then whatever number it is, wherever it lands on, that's what I make. Mm-hmm. Now, if it's an indie style, like it's a Temple of Doom, well, it's automatically saddle tan. You can't choose it. And you won't, you won't hear from me until you get your whip or I might talk to you about it. But there's another 15 where you won't know what they are, but I can say, hey, do you want a one-tone? Do you want a two-tone? Mm-hmm. You know, I, you can have some creative liability on it. Yeah. And so you don't know what you're getting, but I'll let you pick the colors. It's just that there are a little too many indies. Maybe maybe it doesn't pick up. I'll take out some of the indies and swear. Yeah. No matter what, I'll just double up the options, but you can pick the collar. But, you know, I figure you got all these people where they're like, oh, I don't want to spend a lot on a whip and I like a big whip, but, oh, I don't know, 400 to five is a lot for a six foot. And I'm like, well, you know, now I've got a mystery whip. So $300, you're guaranteed a four foot, which you at least would buy. Mm-hmm. But you could get all the way up to a six foot stock whip or a six foot bull whip. Or a yeah. six, it's like there's 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 almost, 10, you know, there's like 15 out of there that's a five foot or a six foot where you're getting even more of your value. You just got to roll a dice and see. And just because my daughter's crazy, that mystery of the LOL dollar, the Shopkin mystery pack, you know, I was just like, you know what, let's, I haven't seen this. I think that'd be a novel idea because there gotta be somebody being like, I got $300. I would love to maybe get a six foot. I'm happy with the four. Let's just see what happens. Exactly. Let's, let's pay for it and get it, you know? And, yeah. you know, and I also, also, I also offer a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee and I extend it on the mystery whip. So like if they get it and they actually just don't love the whip, I don't mind. They can mm-hmm. send it back and we'll figure out the next thing. Right. You know? Yeah, I've, I've actually experienced quite often times I'll have a customer who's interested in a whip. You know, they'll they'll get ready to put in an order and they'll just kind of tell me, you know, do whatever you want, which is kind of surprising to me because, like you said, if somebody's getting ready to, you know, to spend a certain amount of money on a whip, sometimes a significant amount, especially for a first whip, to have them just kind of say, I trust you, man. Yeah, and that's, Do what you want. That's where I thought it might be appealing too. Um, when after I like, I just had this brainchild where I thought this is something I got to make. Yeah. But Afterwards, I was thinking, there, you're right. There's a lot. There's a lot of rookies that. They're like, well, I want a whip, and I haven't bought a whip before. I'm like, oh, okay, well, what do you want? It's like, well, I was hoping you'd help me with that. I'm like, well, I don't know you. I don't. <laughs> right. It's like you've got to tell me more what your goals are. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe I can help you or find the right whip maker if it's not me. And and I've done that a lot, but that's this is where this could be helpful too. They're like, well, I don't know what I want. I don't even know what colors I want to pick. Yeah. You know, so exactly. it's like, well, you just put three hundred dollars in, you're going to get a good whip. Might be I, a snake whip, might be a stock whip, might be a bull whip. You don't know, you don't care. It's a starter whip for three hundred dollars. You now get a raffle. <laughs> I think it's a good idea uh, to encourage that. You know, just uh, kind of say people aren't sure. Yeah. You know, they want to experiment. They want to. They see your work. Make me a whip, whatever uh, you think. You know. 
Yeah. Let's talk about 2016. Um, you visited Joe Strain, who is your biggest influence. Definitely. Yeah. I've seen his work. I can definitely see why. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, that experience. How did you, how did you go about doing that? Uh, what, what whips did you work on with him? What, what techniques did you go over uh, during your visit with Joe? Uh, well, Joe, like I said, I knew Joe was retiring around 13 or 2014. I knew it was coming up. And so it's like I said, it was about a little over four years ago. So about four and a half years ago when I found that out, um, I, I had a pretty good relationship with him. Uh, like Joe always impressed me on how humble and down to earth and open he is. I mean, you could just give him a call. I mean, you give him a call and he'd talk to you, you know, and he'd answer all the questions. No matter how numb's call I might have sounded 10 years ago on my first questions, he was... He was really great with it. And, and uh, I've, I've talked to a lot of people since then. Like, like even Todd Rex says, he said, I just called Joe to have fun talking to him. He's just a great guy. And, and so that, that always also appealed me to Joe was the interesting correlation of just how great his work is and that he's that great of a human being. And I almost think it goes hand in hand. Like normally you can't have high skill without high character. You know, it can happen. There are people with low character with high skill, but generally to have that high of a skill he had, you had to have a high character, which I mean is being down to earth and cool and not like thinking, oh, I'm the greatest whip maker. Cause he never called himself the greatest whip maker. I'll call him that in my opinion, the greatest American whip maker, although it's debatable, of course, easy in ways. But, uh, but I always loved his work. I bought a lot off of him. I talked to him regularly about when we we're making it. And uh, then when I started getting into it and uh, or Steve, I started finding out about Steve before I even started learning. I, I got to learn the basics from Steve on that fateful day. Um, I was talking to Joe about it and talking to Steve and I was getting emails from Joe to Steve about construction. So that also kind of helped too. But uh, once I started getting into it, I just started talking to Joe like crazy and he was always open and forthcoming and, and answered all my questions. And, and I would say what really helped me out was getting a lot of those early guidelines from him, which I call, you know, it's like, you know, Pirates Caribbean when it comes with making, it's not so much rules, but you know, when it comes to master, it's more like those guidelines, it's more the guidelines we call it. But then, uh, so I got to talk to him for a while. He's been retired. He was more like semi-retired, but he basically is retired. I mean, he'll put something on his in stock every now and again. He finally finished a lot of oars. I don't know if he'll take another movie deal. He might take a movie, took a movie deal in these past years, but he, he is basically retired and, and, uh, he'll still pop some stuff out on his free time. I think when he can, yeah. but, uh, when talking to him about it too, and about his, you know, how he has retired, or he's about to be officially retired, you know, on 16, he said, I'm finally, I know I said this, but I'm, <laughs> he's like, I'm knocking it all off. I said, well, <laughs> You know, I'd love to be able to visit you. He'd be up for it. He's like, yeah, man, for you, he'd be like, be, yeah, for sure. So we talked about it, and I was thinking, man, I may only get this one chance to see Joe because he's out, he's retiring, time's moving by, and like, what would I want to do? And uh, being an American bullwhip, uh, being an American whip maker, bullwhips is your, your mainstay. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll never make a signal whip, although I've helped make some signal whips for people. I don't make signal whips. I only make snake whips and bull whips and variations like target whips and et cetera. And, and I always want to make a stock whip. I kind of call that the, tr the trinity of whips is snake, stock, huh. or bull, you know. And uh, so I, I, knew, I made a, my first stock whip. Uh, I was talking to Peter Thorndike a lot, and uh, I told him, hey, I want to make one. Can you help me with it? So he, he, he just showed me his original notes from what he took from his whip maker and gave me all the specs for how he'd make a wow. six-foot-eight platen. So I kind of did it his way. And then I started making a second one, when I, and then I was about to see Joe. And I'm like, what can I do with Joe? I'm like, of course I want to see him make a Raiders. I mean, it's Joe. To get mm -hmm. him making a Raiders and to film it, it would be phenomenal. But... And I was trying to be honest to myself what I need. I'm like, I need it on to make two things. And I want to know, well, I need it on to make a stock whip. Above all, that's my biggest Achilles heel. I want to know how he make a stock whip. And I said, well, we're there. Might as well make a match set. That way I can also take away how he matches things or matches stock whips and make them. And, uh, and so we went there with that in mind. I spent about two days there and he, we, I GoPro'd the whole thing. He was even kind enough to put a GoPro on his chest while he braided a, hmm. the thong. And that was really wow. cool to watch it, to see how the hands are moving and pulling and yeah. rooting through things on yeah. a, a nice view like that. And, 
And, but I, I spent a couple of days with him before I flew back and, uh, you know, it's just, it's just, the experience was great. I mean, his family and, and his kids are just, they're just amazing. There's the, everything about them just really awesome. And uh, it was a, a huge blessing to me. And mm -hmm. I feel Christ gave me a blessing with Joe from the beginning. And even before then, he always kind of gave me favor where Joe just kind of liked me a lot. And we mm -hmm. just, we just hit it off pretty well. And so when, when I started getting into it, I can make that visit. It, you know, I just, I, I just got to keep giving favors. Just Christ opened that door for me or giving me a favor with him and, and then when I when I came back, I, I made like ten ten stock whips right off the bat. I'm like, all right, I just got this. Like, yeah, I'm putting everything on Mind hold until, until, until I fix these details real quick. Because you know, if you see it and then you don't do anything with it for two days, you're gonna lose a lot. So yeah, I, I reviewed all the footage on my flight, my seven hour flight back. I got home and I woke up and did it again. I grabbed height and started cutting to make sure I ingrained all I could. And yeah, and my my goal is and uh, is that I'll get it. I'm gonna see him one more time this year coming up in a, is it 2018 coming up? I'm going to visit one more time and uh, I'm going to have him show me how to make a few things. But the main nice. one is, is we're going to make an eight foot Raiders and I'm going to grill Joe on every inch of that whip and what he would normally do compared to all the indie versions or other versions. And I'm just going to drill in all these questions so that I can have that kind of saved on a file and have it to, available to just to research and maybe help others with someday when they ask questions about it. Yeah, that is some valuable uh, information for sure. It's so important. It's so refreshing to find somebody that is so influential to you and they turn out to just be a down-to-earth person and they're willing to help you out. That's just... You know that's that's priceless. Like the old adage, "Don't meet your heroes." You know, yeah, <laughs> right. it, it works out this time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I would say, Blake, the way that you feel about Joe, I, I feel that way about you, man. You you've helped me so much with leather whip making in the past. Oh, and, thank and you. I've learned I've, a I've lot. I've done very from you. little people, very little. <laughs> Most, I would say, ninety percent <laughs> of what I know. Guy. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, man, I you you've been a huge help to me, and I appreciate it, man. All right, we've got a few Facebook questions for you, Blake. Uh, one of them. Hey guys, this one is from Samuel. Hey guys, how do you know when you're ready to try making a kangaroo hide whip? Uh, this is sounds like obviously he started with nylon. Would you need practice with cowhide whips first? Uh, well, I would say personally, what you know, what I did is I just jumped into kangaroo and mm -hmm. I never looked back. I did make one cowhide and actually I ran into a goat hide recently that I got kind of given me by a local leather shop, so I'm going to make a goat whip and send it to him. But uh. But uh, I would say if you know you want to be about kangaroo hide, I would just leave out cow altogether. Um, but that's uh, that's my opinion. Uh, and uh, I guess where I originally heard that, which I was already on that path because I, I kind of knew that, but uh, Paul Nolan said at the Townsend once, he's just like, you know, Steve was just like, I want to make kangaroo, should I make cow first? And, and, and I'd say the same thing Paul told him, I would. He's just like, you want to be about kangaroo, then just buy kangaroo and don't even worry about the cow. Mm -hmm. And I, I kind of agree with that. I know when it comes to kangaroo, uh, the biggest problem you guys have concerns about is... You're like, it's so expensive. Right. And you just see that I'm going to, oh, I'm going to wreck this kangaroo and now I'm <laughs> out 80 to $120 or give or take, whatever it is, depending on what you paid. And like, and it's just going to be crap. And it's just like, it's, I won't be able to cut it right. Or it's, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. And I'm like, well, you, you do that. First of all, if you did a cow, you're going to have the same problems with the cow as the kangaroo. So mm -hmm. it could be a pro for you to do cow. You know, you could say, well, I learn on cheaper hide first. But cow and kangaroo do not stretch or act the same. Like, cow hide is weird. Cow hide, first of all, not only stretches, like, like when you cut out a strip of kangaroo like a lace, and then you stretch it. Well, when you pull on it, let's just say, you know, it's like north and south. Well, it mm -hmm. shrinks east and west, right? And so cow hide does that too, but a lot of cow hide, I can actually re-stretch it back out east and west. <laughs> 
And, you know, and then you'll find that out when you're doing bolster material if you're using cow or kit. It does that stuff and it's a little, little nutty. But the, also the only other problem with cow, from what I've always noticed, is that even though I stretch it and it shrinks east and west, it also shrinks in thickness. So it'll also pull it, uh, like parts of it will be fatter and thicker now. Like you almost had a really bad splitter accident when only <laughs> random spots got split. And so you're going to be dealing with that frustration too. You know, cow's kind of weird like that. Um, kangaroo is a stronger tensile strength, but, you know, and it is more valuable for different reasons because it does cost a little bit more. And it's, and in my opinion, pound for pound, it is a better leather. Uh -huh. But I would say just, just dive into the kangaroo. Um, the other, you know, some of the other problems I had with cow and when I did it is, you know, a yeah, cow can be up to like nine feet long. All right. And now, uh, uh, that, that's, that's more than nine, uh, what do you call it? Nine DM or 90 DM. You mm -hmm. know, I'm not talking about 90 DM. I'm talking it is nine feet long by like four feet tall sometimes right, the whole or more. Side. So you got to have like an eight foot table to drop that bad boy on, and then I and 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 then I've got to run around the table when I did it. Like I had to sl slide my knife in there and just run around, <laughs> laps around the table to cut it out, as opposed to trying to take nine feet of skin and spin it like a pizza pie while I'm cutting it, like you kind of can with a right. kangaroo. Yeah. So I mean, it's even more difficult to cut it out. Not that you can't. I'm just saying you you kind of have to move around the hide instead of just let the hide move around you. And and, and a lot of people do ask about when you're ready for roux. And I would just say, if you're if you feel like you want to make a roux, make a roux. If you're already a nylon whip maker, it won't hurt you to make a roux. Even if you only make one roux, maybe you'll learn that you this is why you love nylon and you don't want to deal with that headache. Or maybe you'll learn you'll love to do both. Or maybe you'll learn maybe roux where it's at and you don't want nylon. But you know the thing is, if you never try it, you'll never get any better at it. So if you don't jump in the water, you don't know you can swim, and you might as well just jump in and go full tilt if you ask me. So I would just buy a kangaroo. First of all, do some research, watch some videos, contact some uh, what, what you'd call known or reputable whip makers. Find mm -hmm. one that is just very personable and is glad to help and talk to you. And, and even then, don't stop. Ask around a little bit. Find out what all you can to be as ready as you can, but then have fun. Buy a kangaroo. In the worst case scenario, what's his name again we're talking to? Uh, this is Samuel. Samuel, worst case scenario, let's just say you had that, that, that skin and you made that whip and it just caught fire. <laughs> and burnt to the ground right there after you're finished yeah. you're only out about 90 bucks and you maybe started a whole life lifelong love and career so you know what it, just let it burn and and as far as making and i'll just touch on this too since you're talking about making your first kangaroo whip um when i when i got into this i kind of had an understanding that no matter what i will not be making a great first whip and no matter what the first 10 whips you're going to have a lot of learning curves. Now, maybe you think you've learned some of these curves in nylon. It is a little different leather. You've got to relearn them kind of still because there's different variables. Mm -hmm. But those first 10, you should look at them as you're a painter and you've got 10 canvases. And I'm going to try to paint the best picture I can on each canvas. Because when you make that first one, it's very easy to be like, well, I'm going to unbraid that and then I'm going to retrim that. Or I'm going to unbraid this now and retrim it. And you'll rebraid one width five times. And, and, and I can see how people do that. And I've never done that. I, I've rebraided a width maybe... The most was twice or three times in my first 50. I had a whip that's causing problems, and I had to unbraid it and rebraid it because uh, it wasn't working out. So I had to just take the overlay off and drop it and make a new overlay because I was still trying to figure certain things out. And then mm -hmm. I remade a whip with it. But other than that, I made a whip. It's got its problems. It's got its flaws. But when I was done, I was done, and I moved on to my new canvas. So instead of wasting time scraping off all the paint and bleaching right. the canvas, I would just buy a new canvas and think about those first 10 as learning lessons and be like, I'm going to buy 10 canvases and we'll see how awesome I can be by that 10th one. And don't worry about being judged on it or, or condemnation about how bad you are on that first one. It's your first one. Mm -hmm. you know. But don't worry, worry about also when it is done and it does look bad saying it's done and then start fresh with those lessons learned 
instead of trying to rebraid a, a crappy whip exactly. five times for it to still be just slightly less crappy, move on to a new canvas and feel free and fresh again instead of just shackled to this thing that ain't even working right out for you. You're getting... and, and if you can get you, give them, expect to give away those first 10 as gifts or presents, or if you can at most, it'd be awesome just to get your money out or as close to your money considering an internship. That's, that's, that's a good way to look at it, absolutely. Here is a question from Sean. Are Ruhide whips fully Ruhide, including bellies, or is it just the overlay? That's a good question. Uh, I would say it depends on the maker. Um, I, I, of course, use, uh, on, a, on a normal full-size whip, I use, as far as a bull whip, I use a double belly, a double kangaroo belly whip. And then I use kip or cowhide. Uh, I tend to have kip on hand more than not that I'll use for the core. And if I don't use kip for the core, I'll use some cowhide very similar to kip because, I mean, it's still cow. And then I would use that for the bolsters. So I'd have a first and second bolster out of cow, usually my core is kip. Um, whether it's cow or kip or kangaroo, um, I would say that part doesn't matter as far as bolsters or cores. Um, some people like Bernie would use all kangaroo. And I asked him about that one time. I can't remember his response, but I was just like, is kangaroo just cheaper than cow? He's like, no, it's just all about the same price. I just think he, he just preferred it or he just didn't have to worry about trying to outsource cow. So he's like, I got kangaroo, I'll make it work. Plus he gets a little cheaper in Australia than I think we do. <laughs> But, you know, um, there's other people that um, I, I don't really want to drop names. That's an insult to them, but just in case they would take it this way, which I'm not. Um, there are some people that will make, maybe not all their whips like this, but especially whips where they won't even use a belly. They'll use, like, fat and cores and then an overlay. So in there, you, you know, if it was a kangaroo, I don't know if two people do a kangaroo. I know, like, Todd's Costume Whip does that, but they were selling, like, 120 They used to sell kangaroo, an overlay. But, they of course, they're selling a $120 10 foot kangaroo whip so i mean the lace is pre-cut lace probably or something but they would drop it on it and it, it wouldn't really have kangaroo bellies and and there's some other people that do stuff like uh i think terry jack uh, he was a post-depression whip maker he learned from a post-depression so he would have i've seen before where he would have just one good belly or kangaroo but then he'd have layers of bolstered material like it might even be like upholstery kangaroo that he would have that he would bind layers to give it taper and then an overlay. Hmm. Um, there's also other people I know that have done stuff like an all bolster core. Um, I think if you're paying what I call full price, like a David Morgan price, a Paul Nolan price, you know, I guess me, you know, or Casey or Joe Strain, then when you're paying, you know, about that $700 for a 10 foot whip, I think you, you have a right to expect that it would have a kangaroo for the kangaroo for the bellies and, you know, kangaroo for the overlay It'd be an all kangaroo whip. Um, finding cowhide in there is not surprising for bolsters or core uh, because cowhide, although everything can be cut to the similar thickness, cowhide is more supple and will go into the creases of the underlayers and create a fresher canvas than I think kangaroo does. Kangaroo can do that. But if you just touch Kip or, you know, especially Kip, you'll just see how it would just smash into the grooves, mm -hmm. creating a fresh canvas for each layer. And I think that's one reason why it's done over here a lot more. You know, I think it's something like that in a lot of Australia, too. Like, they don't put kangaroo for every layer, but some people do. You know, it's like you, there are no rules to whip making people. It's more like guidelines, you know. Exactly. So, but, you know, I, I, if you're paying top dollar, I would, I would be appalled if I spent $550 on like a six to an eight foot whip and I found out that there was nothing in there but a kangaroo <laughs> overlay and a bunch of random upholstery right, leather bound up inside. I would be appalled. I'd be like, you should give me two or $300 back, you know? Yeah. So 
they should be like that. But that's good questions. You should always ask your whip maker what they do. Um, if a whip maker is kind of hesitant to say what they do, I, I call that a whip maker's red flag right there. If they're not open and honest about what they do and they're not coming genuine and they don't explain the bad with the good or you can tell they're being honest, I'd, they're kind of dodge questions that are about how they make something. I, I'd say you might want to find a new whip maker. Yeah, yeah, that's the most important part in my opinion. I mean, use what you're going to use. Definitely some materials are better than others, no doubt about that. But the transparency with you and your customers that's i think that's what's most important yeah definitely yeah customer relationship is one of the things that i i, I feel i've always been able to soar with you know but i've been teaching martial arts like 24 years so i've i've kind of been that you know the the, the guy in charge or the and also the coach and then the friend and then the the mentor to the little kids so it's like i've you know i, I i've kind of always <laughs> been in those situations where I'm in those roles, you know, like customer service, like always being there to encourage people, make them feel good about themselves was huge for me as a teacher. So yeah. when I, when I get a deal with people, I, 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 they call me, I'll talk to them. I'll talk to them for, I have customers that call and talk to me for an hour and I'll just talk about nothing about whips. I don't mm -hmm. care. And, 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 and when they do have whips and they're always saying, I need to help with this or I'm looking at this and they'll send me videos. And I love, like I said, that teacher in me comes in well where I'm, I just treat them like they're how I'd want to be treated, like they're my best friends. So right. that customer service of just always encouraging them, making them feel good about themselves, mm -hmm. make them happy to do what they're doing, always being there at any time somebody contacts me, I get back to them as soon as possible to help them out with information. Yeah. Like that, that's what helped transcend over from all that teaching is just being able to do that for people. And and you know, I think that's my biggest my biggest advantage to being who I am as a maker is that, that customer service mm -hmm. relationship with people. Cause ultimately, you know, I think that's a huge part of being successful is, you know, they, they want a guy that they, they, when they buy a whip from me or any whip maker, they call whip makers and then they talk to whip makers and then they want to find a connection because they're about to put maybe $700, $700 a lot for me just to drop on a hat. And not that I, you know, some people it's not so much, some people it is. So um, when you, you, to me, if I was to put $700 in a whip maker, I want to know and have talked to that guy and I'd like to know what he kind of feels like as far as character and attitude and spirit, because I'm about to entrust that with him and then I get his product. Mm -hmm. So it, it is good to have a relationship with that whip maker and feel the confidence and trust. Yeah. And so that's, that, that was always big for me when I met Joe and it's, it's big for me now when I, when I talk to people, I, I get back with them and I just try to be as available and I even try to send people in another direction like you don't know what you want let's talk about it and then they start telling me and i start giving suggestions on other whip makers you know sometimes they buy from me and sometimes they don't but my i am not trying to make a sale i'm trying to find that person to find that first whip because when they get their first whip that's their chance to be influenced for the rest of their life based on that experience with that first whip and i want them to find the perfect one so we can grow this community of whip cracking yeah Here's a question from Andy. Yo, Nick, it's cool having Blake in the podcast. Got a couple questions. Number one, when making the heel and transition knot, do you staple and then wrap it with artificial sinew or the other way around? I think you do your transition knots a lot differently than I do with nylon whips. What's your what's your process with, with those? Uh, you know, it, it depends. Um, yeah. I would say generally, if it's just a cut and standard mix, as far as a transition knot, I, I just uh, generally wrap a bunch of sinew around and I, to where it's, it's thick enough or wide enough that I need so it'll create that lip and will give the borders for the transition knot to lay on it. Um, sometimes I have to work on things where... Uh, like I don't know if you've ever seen a young indie whip, but where like the you know Paul's known for making that whip. But I've made a couple of those where you know you have like a red handle and then you have like a black whip, and 
there there are ways to do it where it would be more maybe a little bit better structurally sound but generally when you make that whip you would braid the whip and then lash down where you want to take the the black off the handle and then you'd lash down strong for like maybe a quarter of an inch and if you did something like that then you braided the handle up to it and then lash that down you'd have about a half an inch. So when I, I would load that, I would make sure those are lashed and then I would overlash, but then I might take a piece, a thin piece of leather around those connecting areas because it is a little wider and I want to get that to be, you know, clear or flush. And then I would put Sanu around that, but not much as I put a knot. So like there are cases on certain whips like that where maybe I wouldn't just stick to the all sinew foundation for some of the transition knots. Um, as far as heel knots, you know, once again, I, you know, they're, there are, I don't know, there's probably about three or four main ways I will put my knot foundation together before I put my knots on it, depending on the whip I'm making. And like a stock whip handle, yeah, I'm more likely to, uh, once I get the handle braid on their lash, to put a cap on it. In other words, I, I wouldn't make a cross piece like you guys can normally see. I would get a round piece and slap it on there, and then I would staple it and then drop it like a cross and staple it and staple the corners, and then i trim off the excess, as opposed to trying to make a weird cross shape to fit. Yeah, I have yeah. a circle lay on it and staple it down like you would if it was a cross, but then when you fold it, you just cut those gaps and make it work. Right. So I might do that on a stock whip. Um, I might do that on some other whips if it's just a call for it. Otherwise, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll put lead flashing sometimes on them. They want a lighter weight or depending on the whip. I won't want to put any lead weight on it. I won't put like an indie. I tend to use about three wraps of lead that I that I also have the lead, even though it's one piece that's wrapped three times. I also taper that. So like I might do that on an indie while another whip, I wouldn't want three lashes. It's going to make two bulbous of a handle. So maybe I would put one lap or two laps of lead and then. You know, I would also use the cap or sometimes the yoke to shape the foundation. So, uh, unfortunately, I can't give you a clear-cut, <laughs> you know, walkthrough on how I would handle it because it kind of depends on whether it is a target whip or I'm trying to hit certain width parameters on a whip. So, I've got to make, like like on the record maker, the one that, uh, it's just a whip that makes the Guinness Book World Record standards. Like, I, I can't have the heel knots or transition knots. They have to be uh, three quarters of an inch or give or take an eighth of an inch. So mm -hmm. I can't have a heel knot that is past an inch and one eighth. So when you get stuck with stuff like that, you know, it's like I couldn't do a normal whatever someone might do. Like I wrap two pieces of lead and then I put a cap on it and then I send to it. But whatever I do do for the foundation, uh, once I, whether I use lead or not, but once I have my leather on it, I do take some sinew. Um, I kind of have my own way I wrap sinew. I wouldn't just wrap around it like a cylinder. I might do that on one pass just after I've had it tacked or stapled. I tend to use staples over tacks because it's just tacks may be slightly better because when they hit the nail, they'll curve and hook mm, while yeah, staples yeah. won't curve and hook. But you got to realize once you line up staples and then you sinew over it, nothing's going to have that staple come out. Yeah. So it's not really, it's really a debatable issue, which is better. Um, but once I would drop like a few staples around it, you know, after I had the foundation on, I would definitely take sinew over it. So like if I had lead, I would staple it a little bit. I would put sinew, a thin layer of sinew, like one binding, we'll call it that. That might define that. And then I would put the leather over it and then I would staple that, then sinew it. But when I would sinew it at that time, depending, I would shape it more with the sinew. Like I would do one whole ring around it and then I would come back up the top. And I usually, and what I've been doing lately with these change, I make it a little thick ring around the top so I know where I'm creating my 
uh, it's already kind of already there with my under material, but I kind of create the lip for the knot at the end of the, the heel. And then what I do is I start, as I braid down instead, I actually loop around in this, uh, I don't know how you explain it, but I make loops and I make a circle with these loops. So it kind of mm. creates almost... Like an atom shape. Yeah, like because say, say you want to, you know, the, the part of the heel foundation that touches the handle, you know, mm. not the butt, but the handle, you know, as that laps down, like if you did a cap, you've got these little four edges sticking down that you've got to lash down or figure out. So what I'll do is I'll lap down over it a little bit, but I don't go past it. And then I come around the curve a little as I come back up. And then I just slowly rotate around it to create this thing that caps the bottom in, but also kind of creates an angled formation on certain knots. And then I'll just hmm. go back around it after I've already completed that. Then I'll go back around it like what you might call a layer of binding or two to fill in the spot that isn't like that head. But I mean, I do different ways. I mean, there's a lot you can do with it. That's just kind of what I've been doing a lot lately to kind of shape it in certain ways better. Yeah. And using artificial sinew, I've been doing that too, using that to actually build the foundation of the knot. Like when you're wrapping that stuff, it builds up quicker than you would think. Yeah, there's like actually a lot of different techniques to build the shape. Oh, yeah. And, and, yeah. and I think, you know, like Joe would do some pretty funky things with it. And, and hmm. I think it's good to do that. Now, again, you know, to clarify, I, I, Nick is not using nothing but sinew. <laughs> but, you know, you, you, you do it right. You can add some shape to it with the sinew to really get the pleasing shape you want. Like uh, I don't really just do this, but say you guys wanted a more spherical handle um you'd still have to trim the the sphere parts on the tips but what you could do with the sinew is and while you bind it you just keep wrapping around so that it grows more in the center i mean you could use that sinew to help create more of a rounded effect in the middle of that knot too so i mean there's a lot you can play with but definitely experience experiment you know um you could always if you wanted to which i i've heard of a lot of great tips to help you guys figure out how to do this stuff but i've never really gotten into them i just make whips instead but um, a thing you could do is get a stick with a heel knot on it, and then you can get a you can just shape it different ways and tie knots while you're watching TV. So you can be mm. like, I shape it like that, I tied a knot, now you take the knot off. And then what you can do is you can undo the binding and try binding a little differently or change eleven. You can just sit there while you're watching TV. I, I I didn't do it because to me I'm like if I have time to spend eight hours making these different knots, I could have made a whip. But <laughs> it is you can do things like that if you you want to get better at making heels and not just make another whip. So. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, but definitely when you experiment and change things up, take some measurements here and there and, and know what that change did because, you know, later, you know, and when you do experiment out there as a general rule, don't experiment with three different things at once. You just made a whip and you see something you want to change. Don't change eight things on that next whip. Change one of the major things and maybe a couple of the minor, but do not change the eight these eight big things unless you're really just new at it and there's a lot of yeah, bad things yeah. that need fixed. Unexplored I mean, territory. Yeah, I mean, you want to just make one change because that one change is going to affect the whip. But if you have three different changes, it's going to fail your experiment because you don't know, well, was the change that one thing I fixed or exactly. the other three things I fixed? So now you're going to make a hypothesis that, oh, I did this and that saved this problem with my whip. But then you'll make yep. a whip just like it and it won't be anything like that even though you did the same things. Very good point. Uh, there's a second part to Andy's question. Uh, this, is, this is a question for the ages. Uh, how do you get the strand length for your kangaroo hide bullwhip? I will hear your response in your next whip cast. Cheers. <laughs> oh, I hope I hope I'm being helpful, Andy. Thanks, thanks for the questions. Um, well, uh, you know, um, I, to explain what I do, I kind of have to explain kind of how I I look at whip making. But I'll just say this. Everyone says the general rule of thumb is braiding is length times half. In other words, if I want six feet braided, I need six feet plus three more feet, which is half, to be nine feet to braid. Let's just look at that very simple uh, commonality that we hear. 
Well, let's just say nine feet did braid six feet. You got to have enough strands to hang on to to tie a fall hitch. You've got, and if you're doing nylon, you got to have enough strands left over to create the fall. If you're doing it tapered down to three to two to one, so nine feet would never work for a six foot whip because you have to have something to hang on to to finish the whip or finish it. So let's just say it was nine feet ten inches. <laughs> so nine, so I, so nine feet and ten inches, ten inches is more enough to hang on to and pull into a fall hitch. Well, you better hope that every part of your calculations are right if you did try to skirt the nine feet, 10 inches, because if your whip was thicker in girth or your strands were thinner than normal, well, with a thicker whip and thinner strands, you're gonna eat up your material more. You know, so the only way to have a, like I said, it's more guidelines and rule. The only way to, ha to have a rule, which can't be done, is you would have to make every whip somehow magically, even though it's a natural product cut by hand, and it's a natural product that 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 is just, even when it's skin, like when you go to buy a kangaroo skin, they're 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 split, but they're not trying to hit a certain um, thickness. Like they're not trying to be like every skin we sell at Packer or Talbum or wherever is one millimeter. They're trying to pull it through that splitter to make it all the same thickness. They're not trying to make it all a certain thickness. Right. So you right. can't just buy a skin and be like, ah, oh, kangaroo skin is 0.8 millimeters. Yeah. You know. So 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 that that can kind of play a factor too. You know. Um, but so. Unless you could make the perfect core the same every time, you could probably make uh, your strands taper the same way every time and get an exact calculation of 9 feet 10 inches. But it's not going to happen because there's too many variations. Your cow may be thicker. You're, you might not have, you know, you, didn't, you, you don't have a belly to match. You just made your new belly. It may be a little thinner here and there. So like if the width of a kangaroo strand is thinner or if the thickness of it is thinner, all that changes diameter. So there's like a lot of these little minor factors that are involved. So even if you could on one whip foreseeably make a nine foot, 10 inch strand that made it perfect, the odds that happen again are, are not gonna happen. So you wanna err in going long. And I would say if you're new to it and you're gonna make like a six foot bull whip, I would at least make them 11 feet long. And I would even say that that's pre-stretch, even though after stretch should be good, mm -hmm. I would say pre-stretch to give you room because right. when you start tapering these strands, whether you use a jig or you use a strander or you use it by hand, which you know, like I do, I just take a sharp blade and a little wrap of leather around my finger so it doesn't bite if something goes yeah. wrong as bad. Uh, you're, you're still going to have to taper these by hand, even if you're using these gauges or other things. And you kind of got, I mean, it's not really a guess, but you, you've got to guess on how thick to get it. And so, unless you know how to taper at what point matches that whip then you're gonna be stuck with it having too much leather left over or too less. It's better to always go big and then, and then go home. Because I mean, if you go big, you still have enough strands. If you go less, you're gonna have a shorter whip, you know? So, um, I, you know, link time half is a good general guideline. But again, I would say uh, if it's six feet long, first of all, add a foot for your hands to braid and I would add another foot uh, at six feet. So like I said, I would make it at least 11 feet on those strands mm -hmm. pre-stretch before you braid that whip. I, I've actually been, uh, and, and sorry to go off on a tangent, but to talk about my, my path is, I realized that with the way I make whips, and a lot of it is kind of Joe Strain-esque, I mean, I've had a lot of help from other people, 
Uh, Casey Tyler's helped me out a lot in the beginning, and Paul Nolan as well uh, has, has let me put some whips on his site, and he'd give me some suggestions. And uh, Bernie, uh, I've, I've briefly talked to Del Carpio beforehand. I didn't really talk about whip making, but I've talked to him a lot since then. And uh, all, all these 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 guys, um, you know, really did help me out with a lot of this stuff. But as I realized through my process, um, I when I make a kangaroo whip, I mean, yes, I have some artificial sinew when I got to lash onto a handle, and if I make a knot foundation. But other than having kangaroo and cow I, and uh, lead flashing, I mean, you might need you know some of these other base tools like a hammer or you know for staple gun. <laughs> but other than that, I just use a sharp blade for everything I do, and, and, I, and it's not like a, oh, I'm unique because of it. You know, Joe did it like that. Casey will do it like that on occasion. Steve does it on you know he'll do that too. Casey probably does it actually more often. Paul does it too. Uh, Bernardo, David Morgan, they all just kind of use the blade. They didn't really use these uh, jigs. If you know what jigs are, or these stranders, they would just take a blade and they would mm-hmm. grab a strand and they they prep their ice. Uh, you know, and so um, by doing this process to where it's all hands-on, um, I, I, I take very few. Di- <laughs> I know this sounds crazy. I do take a lot of dimensions when needed for certain things, but when I actually prep an overlay and I have all the strands stretched out, I understand depending on how many plat I got and what type of whip making, I generally know how fat I want to start. Let's just say it's a, a twelve plat, twelve plat, eight foot. So a twelve plat, eight foot. Uh, on the handle, it needs to be about seven millimeters. It could be seven two five. It could be seven five five. You know, you got to change your angle braid when it's too fat. But so I know I got to start out so so thick for so long. Say a handle's eight inches, starts out seven millimeters or so. I want to have that seven millimeters or seven two five. I want to have it tapered to seven or six point, I don't know, six point six or something by the time it's around the transition area, so that it kind of shrinks the diameter. And so whenever I cut it, I get that initial diameter of how long I want for the handle to run. I'm like, yeah, this is about where I'll fit on the handle and start to taper. And then I go down to where I want the taper to end. Mm-hmm. And then I cut my first strand and I put all that taper on that first strand. And then I, and once I have that first strand made, I throw away my calipers, which I only needed it for two measurements. <laughs> and then I just, I just start attacking the other strands and match that first one. So it's a very artistical form that I do. I take very little measurements and just deal with what I've got while I'm huh. dealing with it. And, and I, and so I used to be really concerned beforehand about I'm going to try to maximize my kangaroo. I'm going to make sure that um, as I get to a certain point where I know it's going to shrink, I'm going to start cutting thinner strands. And I mean, you do do that. You do want to kind of taper your strands and you're cutting them out of hide so you can maximize it. But I've realized this past uh, couple years, I've been uh, very wasteful is the best word for it. A uh-huh. wasteful whip maker. Not as wasteful doing like, you know, other methods, but just uh, like I will go ahead and, and like say an eight, you know, link times half. An eight foot would be 12 feet. Well, when I make a six foot, I've been making them 12 feet. Yeah. And I know it's yeah. been overkill. Like I'll sometimes on a whip, I'll end up with like a, a foot and a half or two feet of extra strand. Uh-huh. But I, I, I see it as this. I You're getting a premium whip. Uh, I'm trying to make you a premium whip the best that I can on a high caliber. So I'm not going to sit here and try to cut my corners or salvage my high just to save myself money. Mm-hmm. It takes X amount of kangaroo, and I will cut these. Uh, I will still taper a little bit, but I cut them a little wider than I would if I'm trying to be conservative. You know, conservative. And I will have them longer than I want so that I can attack that clay. Like I just have a clay mold, and I want to make sure I have enough clay that I can make this as perfect as I want and not have to worry about running short or anything else. So I, I'm a little more of a, I guess you could say a little more wasteful. And that's what I mean by being artistic. Like I've noticed I, I attack things like an artist that has nothing but a canvas and a bunch of paints that he can't wait to just grab. And, 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 
tipper and then uh you know just uh just go to town and i will have waste and i'll be throwing these scraps of mold or like this clay off and i'm just cutting away and like here's yeah. what i don't want here's the shape i want and, right. and i don't mind that i'm actually uh a little more wasteful i don't waste a lot <laughs> I, mm. I waste more than i would if i was being conservative but it's not all that much but so i kind of attack things a little different like that so yeah. if i told you you know braid time half you know but I told you, like I said, I will use about 12 feet on a six foot. And most people will be shocked, be like, that's too much waste. And, yeah. and I'm like, well, I want that because I'm, I'm making sure that you have enough and you'll have a superior product and that there will be nothing wrong when I make this foot because I don't want to have to go back mm -hmm. and solve these other problems. And I'd rather have a thicker canvas to pleasingly make it look prettier. So. And you make more progress when you're not so worried about waste. Oh, waste this, waste that. You know, you get more learning experience. And talking a little bit about different methods for cutting lace out of hide you know there's an aussie strander which is basically a little, a a little tool. finger yeah. A finger tool yeah. yeah you put that and you you just trim around the hide the whole circle of it and you can establish the width of your lace by turning a little wheel there's another one where you cut a hole in the middle of a hide and then pop it through and pull it yeah, and i spins. have never <laughs> seen that in person. i got one man i'll show it to you yeah, after steve, the show. <laughs> steve, Town, yeah, steve showed me or he, he didn't show me but he told me that's what he started on and yeah. it, i just sat there boggled for like 20 <laughs> minutes like conceiving like who would have ever have thought about starting it like a donut from the inside <laughs> out like i'm like how could you it's so counterintuitive is the yeah. best word i've been using for it it's like how would you think to do that yeah i know that's hilarious it's and a Denny, funny little tool Denny williams is a, is actually a very nice um gateway strander <laughs> great way strander if you guys haven't tried that I, I i bought one and i know i still never used it yeah i, I end up selling to someone because uh, they, they don't come around that often paul gets them in burst uh but i did want to use it but by then i was just using a straight blade and uh, yeah yeah oh, keep going keep going anyway. there's another one where it's i actually have it in the other room it's it's like a like a steel pipe, basically. There's this guy on eBay was selling them. Those look a, medieval to me. I know, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> like if you're yeah. in a medieval whip-making torture chamber, yeah. that's what they'd be doing to make this whip they're about to beat you with. <laughs> <laughs> so there's three three different tools. A Bernie, Bernie, I call it Bernie's Infernal Machine. But oh, he yeah, has that, yeah, that, yeah. He, he made his own, but he had the guy make them. And, and I, I've actually owned two of those once because I ordered it and it didn't get here soon enough. Yeah. So I bought another one from some guy selling and stayed away. <laughs> and then I used it and then I sold them both once I got them. But on my second whip, I used Bernie's weird rectangle yeah, metal player. This, yeah, the yeah. metal one. Like you'd have, you'd have to be a master at to make it work. I mean, you could make that work. I just couldn't. Like it drove me nuts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah there are a lot of different ways to cut lace. There really are. I took um, um, David Morgan. Uh, you go on there, Megan. You can see videos of her doing it. They have this block of wood in your hand. Yeah, it so, looks so crude, but it works. Yeah, for it's that. like uh, it's it's almost like you got a handheld two by four that has a blade on it. <laughs> right. And, I mean, she uses it. You know, ultimately, whatever you do use, you you can. I bet anyone out there, if you spend enough time, could make it work. But whatever feels best for you in your hand is what really matters. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So yeah, I I actually tried to make a jig once by taking um like a rail that you use for your stairs, a handrail. Yeah. I took PVC pipe and tried to match yeah. up the curve. Didn't work very well. But all, all this is to say that you actually cut your strands freehand. Is that something that you always did? Or did you did you start with the jig? Is it was it always easier? And you do it because you just feel like it's it's natural. It's freedom. Feel. Yeah. It feels like freedom. Yeah. And uh I wish there you know, unless you've done what I've done and then experienced what I experienced, you know, can you really appreciate her or be like i'm with you brother <laughs> um the, the first one i did like i said when i when i visited steve is a four foot and and i think i put a video up on my youtube channel with that where i showed uh i, I think when i started this series i i haven't put much into it yet but i want to call it like the whip maker's eye or 
or how to have the whip maker's eye or is whip making points of line understanding. It's really just to kind of showcase whips because when I, like I said, when I didn't make whips, I didn't know what I'm looking at. So it's to help people know what mm-hmm. they're looking at. And uh, when I first went to Steve, though, I think I did do it all by hand. I think he showed me at least how to stick a blade in and cut. I might have used the Aussie strander. I almost, <laughs> I think since I did a belly with Steve, I couldn't use the Aussie strander because it's too fat right. to do a four plot belly with. So I think yeah. I did that first one by hand. And then when I did the overlay because he showed me I did the I, I bought that that silly little finger strander that twenty five dollar death trap you know mm-hmm. and that thing drove me nuts and I don't know if they're better than this but it seems like every time I want to like I use the yoke if you're using Bernie's method which I call the onion method it's not really Bernie's method but it's just uh, the YouTube world that's what they see you know that's the method for making leather is Bernie's videos he would like you said he'd take that strander and just run around like a big circle until you have like you know 200 feet of a uh, one lace that's 300 feet mm-hmm. long you know and, and and even though I you know Steve is still new and I, I ended up using that on my first and second whip, that little finger thing. We still used a yoke because he was learning how to use a yoke at that point. Yeah. So I would have to, instead of just being able to go around the whole circle, I would have to unscrew the blade, cut a hole in my leather, slide that little finger track in there to lock the blade in so it can get in that groove, right. re-screw that, and then go around till I get to my second strand mm-hmm. and then I have to undo it. Cut a hole. <laughs> I mean, it was so frustrating to like. I mean, I mean, if you're doing it Bernie's way, it's a magic tool. Uh-huh. But if you do it with a yoke, it's just like oh, it's yeah. so much hassle because you got to like shove the blade through the leather and lock it back into the strander and like two strander. parts yeah, coming yeah, from the top and the bottom. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's no easy way to do it with a yoke method, you know, yeah. which is more what like Joe, Paul, Casey, me, Steve, and you know Bernardo and other people use. And uh. so uh, on the first one, I think I did use that on the overlay, and then. Uh, I thought, you know, I, I'll, I'll try Bernie's thing. Let's try this device. And, and I was pretty, after I made that first one, I, I just kind of knew that I was going to at least make a few. I really want to be about it. And then, uh, so I got a little ambitious and made a 10 foot 16 plot, you know, <laughs> what do you do from a four foot? You go right to a 10 foot 16 plot kid, you know? And, uh, I used his machine on that and that thing was so beasty and crazy. I called it Frankenstein and I can't believe someone finally <laughs> bought it on eBay for like 180 bucks, which I thought wow. was generous. It wasn't generous. It was like, you're getting ripped off. Man. <laughs> 180 bucks. <laughs> you know, and, uh, but, uh, I used his, uh, his square jig, whatever that square thing we were talking about that he sells. I know there's a name for it. He actually has a name and the guy who makes it, but I can't remember off the top of my head. I just call it Bernie's Infernal Machine and generally whip makers know what I'm talking about. Uh-huh. And so on that one, I had to cut all the lace out just like, you know, uh, I don't think I did. I don't remember if I did the onion method. I might have. I don't think I did, though. And then, so once I had all these strands, I had to run them through this thing. I want six millimeters. And then I get to the part where I wanted at 5.5, and you, yes. you run it through that thing. And it was. I, I cut a lot of strands doing it. I had a lot of problems using the machine. I know that if I spent time with it, I probably could have figured that machine out. But I'm like, it is so uh, just time-consuming. And I felt constrained to be just stuck to this little device. And then uh, my third whip, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to freehand this. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I stuck that. Uh, I, I have this really bulky, ugly little orange. Uh, it's a utility knife. It's not even a box cutter. Like Joe used a box cutter, which is basically like, it's basically a razor blade. I mean, it's this little metal guard mm-hmm. that hides a razor blade and you just stretch it out. You know, and it's <laughs> it, he's very delicate with it. And. I've got, you know, I mean, he's ever been as big as me, but unfortunately, whatever you start with, you may not leave. And so I have this orange utility knife, not even a box cutter I use. And I, since I started with it, I've used it. I never grabbed on the thing. It just, it feels so right in my hand. I know yeah. I could have made other stuff work, but I didn't break it. I didn't need to fix it. And so on that third whip, I just stuck that guy in and I just did everything by hand from that day on. And I can't explain the feeling of what I call freedom. Like oh, yeah. to just have a, a leather and a blade and not have to worry about 
getting this Aussie thing to stick in and re-screw to slice, you know, not have to run it. I have to run the strand two, uh, like Bernie's, I got to run it two sizes and then to prep and, yeah. you know, all this stuff. And then also the whole process of having these, uh, so the onion method versus the oak, in case you guys don't know. Um, like Nick said, the onion method is taking a strander and going all the way around a kangaroo to have one long strand. Yeah. And then what they do with that is they cut it up into links, like we were talking about length time half. Well, we want a six foot, we're making nine, or you know. So, so, so you have an eight foot piece of uh, leather, and so you get for the overlay, you need 12. So you have 12, eight pieces of leather. And so once you get those out, now you got to measure because you you got to realize you're not doing this by hand. You're doing this little box that has two razor blades. So now you've got to measure every strand. And at two feet, I want it to be 5.5 millimeters. And then at four feet on all of them, I want it to be 4.5. So you got to take all these strands and try to run them through this stupid box mm-hmm. and then make sure each one matches at the stupid box and they all get it in there. And then, you know, you'll watch these videos, these people that are basically uh, doing Bernie's method, but just flagrantly just ripping them off. And, and they're not really changing to make it better. They're just kind of copying and pasting what he does in a way. And when you watch them do it, sometimes you see these guys, they'll braid their whip. And they're like halfway done. They're like, well, i got to resize my strands. And so now they're using, uh, again, they're using some device, maybe not Bernie's. And so now even though they already resized it, they realize it didn't fit right. Mm-hmm. So now they got to take the strands. And while they're mid-whip braiding, resize the strands of these infernal devices. And I'm like, how are you doing this? And I'm like, you're a whip maker. You shouldn't have to resize your strands halfway through your whip because it's not matched out. You should already know how to size your strands the first time and, you know, wrap that present. Get it out. <laughs> I was like, you don't need to fix your wrapping paper again, you know. And so, but to do that with that infernal device would be so mind-numbing. Well, having the freedom of just a blade in your hand, anything I need to do, if I need to trim it up, I just grab the strand, even though it's on the whip. I, I tie a half hitch to lock it, what I need, and I just grab the strand, and I just trim it off. Yeah. I don't worry about trying to find my machine and get it near wherever my whip's at. And now, not pulling a strand through, you got to realize to resize, at that point, you're moving a whip with a strand yes. to pull through. It's not even just a strand in your hand anymore. You've got a half-braided whip at the end of this strand and, you're and trying. keeping it, I've and, done that a and, few times. Yeah, and yeah. so when you have this machine, you run your stuff through the machine, but with the blade, I run my blade through the whip. So yeah. it it's almost does the same thing, but it's inverted. Yeah. And so it's just a lot easier. It's quicker. You know, uh, I think a lot of things that when you understand the artistic way I do things, or I've, I've, I've let it do them, is that a, what, a lot of things is, involves with speed. Like, you don't want to rush and make a crappy whip. But at the same time, I think Joe said it best. I think Morgan might have told him. He said, it's like time is money with me. I mean, that's not their phrase. I mean, everybody says that. But he's like, when you're making whips, it's like time is money. So to spend three hours to, to do one thing that you could do maybe in 20 minutes, you should pick the 20 minute. <laughs> and unless that three hours really made a completely supreme version of that whip to where it justified it well then man i'd be like well, let's do it let's spend three hours making a core <laughs> you know let's spend 24 hours till it dries you know and i'm like if that's you that's great and it's not i'm not slamming that i'm just saying you know for you to be what i call a professional whip maker and 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 a profession does not mean you if you're a professional whip maker it does not mean you are a superior whip maker to non-professionals what it means is most or all of your income uh, to live on is provided by that industry. So for to be a professional whip maker, I would say at least 55% of what you live off of should come from whip making. Mm-hmm. So time is money. You know, time is money that. So I, I don't I don't make uh, inferior product because I'm running behind on time. I mean, I, it takes the whip as long as it takes me to make it. 
but you also got to learn to speed up your process as best you can and learn how to do things. And there's no reason to reinvent the wheel and take longer if it's not going to improve the work whatsoever. Right. So a lot of stuff I do, I do it because it is faster. Um, I, I never mastered the burning method. I didn't need to, but I never mastered the burning method to see how quick can I make a Bernie whip, you know, and using a strander and cutting these all out and then resizing them all and matching them. Yeah. But I guarantee as fast as I could have probably gotten at that, I'm at least twice as fast doing it by hand than I ever would with the onion method. I cut all 12 strands off a of yoke, I pull them out, I match, I get the one the way I want, I match the other by hand, by eye. You could use jigs, you can use jigs on a yoke, you can use these other strainers on a yoke, you can use the Aussie on a yoke. It's not saying cutting by hand is better, or I'm not really talking about the method of a yoke versus the onion, but the speed is faster. I can mm -hmm. just see a strand, I make it, I look at the others, I make it. I don't have to sit there and measure every inch of that strand or every foot or two that I need to make sure this is at a certain dimension so that it lines up with all my other dimensions, which may, as you see with these whip makers, halfway on a whip, I gotta resize my whip anyways. I'm like, you just spent five hours prepping this method. I mean, literally five to 10 hours you will spend doing the burning method sometimes, especially if you're talking about a 10 foot 16 plat. You know, mm. you would spend four or five hours prepping that overlay alone, I bet. Uh, even you could knock it down to two. That's too long. I can cut a 12-plot overlay out in about a half an hour. You know, like a 12-foot, 12-plot overlay, or let's say a whole high beam cut out. It's like I could probably do a 10-foot, 12-plot overlay in about 30 minutes, cut it out, stretch in about 15. The way I stretch, it's pretty dry, not too long after that. I'd probably do some side work, but I could probably prep a 10-foot, 12-plot in 30 minutes as well. So we're talking about an hour, overlay done hour and 15 minutes and, and well done too it's not just I don't just rush it it's crap but it takes about that long I may go a little slower some days because I'm just a little more relaxed so I would add 20 minutes on procrastination but like if I I, had, I was in a not a rush rush but I wanted to not just enjoy the walk through the park I meant an hour I could prep I could cut and prep half hour half hour mm -hmm. and if you did it the Bernie way it'd probably take you a half hour to cut out it may take you less time to cut out the whole skin just because you're just wheeling a donut around yeah but once you stretch and now i gotta cut and now i gotta individual i mean you waste more hide that way anyways but now i gotta line them and i gotta lash them to a handle after i prep them i mean there's just so much uh, consumption of time to make a leather whip like a nylon nothing wrong with people to do it i'm not i'm not saying those mm -hmm. are inferior whips i'm just saying just they, there's the, the time alone it will take you three times as long to make a whip if you did do these individual bellies and you did the youngin method where it's like basically a leather version of a nylon whip it's just it's a lot of time a lot of time consuming and it, and one could make a superior product i mean not superior like oh you're on my level i'm just saying you could make one equal or better than mine with those methods there, there's there's people that do do those methods or do do the jigs to size it out instead of by hand that like like peter thorndike i still think he uses these uh handmade jigs he takes these clothes pins and he has a little groove in it and each one is set up like this is my seven millimeter here's my 7.5 here's my hmm. six my 6.5 and so he pulls out the jiggy one so it's kind of like using those infernal machines but again it's almost like freehanding so you have a jig which is allows it to where i put a piece of leather and it lands in the jig and i've already got he already has his notches to know it's seven millimeters so he just puts that blade on the seven and he slides through the through the strand so it's hmm. almost like making a portable infernal machine but like he Pete, peter thordike makes some of the most beautiful i, I personally say, think that they should have given the whip award for the man from snowy river they should oh, just yeah. gave him the best whip ever made in the creation of the history of the world that'll never be beat here's your cup don't come back again other people need to try and that's what he should have got for that but he'll use those those jigs and he, he doesn't 
it, it is kind of cut by him, but it's not because it is a set jig at a certain length, and he kind of does yeah. it different. But you know, he does those methods, and it's a superior whip. But also, I talked to Pete a lot. He's like, it is very time-consuming to do that method. 64 strand. And <laughs> I will argue that it doesn't make, um, it, 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 in a theory, because you are, it's almost making a science out of the art again. Because you're like, here's my 6 millimeter gauge. Here's my, my 5.5. In a sense, you could make a more superior whip, theoretically, to have hit all those marks, even if he does use a yoke, because he makes stock whips. You gotta have a yoke for that. You're, you're still not using the Bernie method. Another reason why you'd use these jigs as opposed to machine. So, like, you you could theoretically make a more superior whip, maybe like slightly be more aesthetically superior. But you gotta realize there's still too many factors. Things will stretch more in some areas than other. And and even though you hand stretch the crap out of it when you braid it, it's still there's always a possibility a couple places will stretch just a little more. And so mm-hmm. even if you did have the perfect the width and everything lined up from your theory and making this stuff originally with these individual strands, it'll still have an, a margin of error that you would if you did do it by hand and by eye. Hmm. So, you know, if it's your way and you do it, that's great. You have the time to do it, that's great. You know, I mean, however you want to make a whip that you can even make a whip, I would say I would be thrilled to be you if I didn't want to make a whip. However you made a whip, I would be amazed and thrilled <laughs> to have made that whip you made because it's like, you know, you made it. And, 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 you know, if to make another whip, you try to make it better. And that's really as, as simple as it is, you know. Mm-hmm. But there, there are a lot of different methods and a lot of different ways. And, and if I ever do talk about my way versus another or if I ever say something in here about I think it's better or superior or I prefer it, again, it's not saying my way or the highway. I'm not demeaning anyone else in their method because they use their method. If you find a whip from a whip maker and you like the way the whip works, Congratulations, you found a good whip maker. I'm just saying that I think it's better for my own reasons, not that I, this is the best and I am the best whip maker. There is no such thing as the best whip maker, just like the perfect whip. I think mm-hmm. one thing that qualifies you as a whip maker when you finally say, hey, am I a whip maker? I didn't say a professional whip maker. That's about finances. You know, you can be a hobbyist, enthusiast, whatever. But every whip maker, one of their first realizations is, I want to try to make the perfect whip. <laughs> And we all know it's unattainable and impossible, but we keep trying to make what we know is impossible every time. Which we weren't much closer. To we're perfect. really trying to say we want to make the most perfect whip we can at yes. this point in time yeah. possible with what we got. But it's like that's one of the things I think everyone that one of the little road attractions says you made it to Whipmakerhood. Yeah. You know you're in Whipmakerville now. It's like I want to make a perfect whip. You know, and so. that's kind of one of the things that <laughs> kept me going in whip making before I ever you know, discovered that this was going to be a thing that made money for for me. It was kind of a, okay, I made that one. All that was a heck of a lot of work, but I want to do it again just to get a little bit better. And that's kind of what just pushed me to keep going, you know? Yeah, like I don't one think every you, couple months. And... I don't think anyone can master anything without that. I want to call it perfectionism, you know, being yeah. a perfectionist. But there is, it's more like I have a bar I set for myself of excellence. Yeah. And like I want to find how excellent I could be at this. Yeah. Exactly. I think that's an important part, you know. Not everybody, and I think that requires a lot of passion that uh, most people I don't think have. You know, like they, they have a curiosity, they want to try it, they do it. But, you know, that's another determination that makes you the whipmaker you are, Nick, is you came up to that passion of, I want to make the best. I want to be perfect. Like, I want to do better again. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's not always, uh, you, you think it should be the standard, but it's like common sense. It's, it's not common, and it doesn't seem to make sense to anyone else. <laughs> it's like, well, don't you want to be better or make it perfect? Or don't yeah. you see these problems? It's like, 
I'll, let, I'll, I'll hang out and let air dry my good with my bad because, you know, I'm a fallible person just like everyone else, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, no one's perfect. I mean, I am perfect. No one else is. I hear everybody else is not perfect. It's easy to see, you know. So it's like I, you think that every whipmaker, that's the whipmaker. He wants to make a better product. and But you'll, you'll see you'll keep an eye on tabs of people. You'll see people on Facebook or other places and you'll tour sites every now and again. I might just tour some sites. And, and sometimes you're pretty shocked. Sometimes it's shocking to see that they, the year's gone by and they're making the exact same looking whip bar none they did a year ago. Maybe, maybe they only made 10 or 20 since then. Maybe they made 50, but you'll see it and you'll just be like, wow, nothing's really changed. And then it kind of be a shocker. It's like, you feel like 10 years gone by, you know, and it's, there's no difference in your work. It's mm-hmm. like, and he says, well, I must have mastered it, so why change it, you know? Yeah. But, but, but there are subtle things that should should improve, you know? And, and I think once you get to a certain level, that's what you start working on. The little things that don't take much time, but overall improves the general quality of a product. You yeah. Know? There's there's a, a quite an enjoyment in, in kind of blazing new trails with whip making and experimenting like you're doing with your handles, you know? Yeah. Just yeah. kind of throwing different ideas into the mix and just keeping it a fresh approach and... I would say that's uh, being an encourager. Uh, uh, I I uh, I embrace my inner geek. Like you know, oh, we, yeah. we used to grow up. My friend would talk about like you know, there's you know, there's different categories like nerds, geeks, spazzes, dorks, dweebs. What you know, all this silly phrase you're growing up. And I'm like, I'm just a straight up geek, and a geek will just straight up geek out on some stuff. I mean, like they'll see something love, and they will just sit there. And just watch this stupid movie for three hours and geek out on it. You know, it's like, so there's a little bit of obsession with geeks. And so, you know, I always embrace my inner geek. You know, not everybody's a geek. You can be a half geek, half spaz. I don't know. You know, we had our own classifications. And you could, and, but it's nice to be able to see people like it's like, I see your inner geek and no one else can see that, you know. And, but I, but I took that, that part of me, you know, which I think is important for anyone is, is quit trying to be the great whip maker, be you and just make whips and, and find out what it is that you do and you like or, what is it that makes you unique? Because while we all have watched Spider-Man, not all of us made a Spider-Man whip. And I'm not saying go make a Spider-Man whip, but it's like I embrace that inner geek. And I'm like, I just want, I started making these uh, unique whips because I'm like, I just want to see it done. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a Punisher whip. I wanted to make a Punisher whip with a white handle and a black thong. And I'm going to drop a Punisher skull on that just because mm-hmm. like, I've never seen it. Who wouldn't want a Punisher whip? You know, so it, it all segued up to eventually, like you said, making the uh, the Star Wars whips and these sword handle whips. And uh, the, the mystery whip's just kind of a gambit. But, you know, other things like that. It's just like uh, embracing my geek and willing to, to put money on something that's just... No one. I, I've made whips I've never seen one make yet, and it's just unlashing and accepting my geekdom and knowing just like I made this because I want to make it, not because I expect it to sell, not because I want to create this product for others. Just like I made it because I wanted to, and then people. There's so many people like me out there, and most anyone that has a whip in their hand, they're a geek. I mean, you can't, <laughs> generally you're a geek too. And so it's like, yeah. you know, a lot of stuff, they're just like, that is pretty freaking awesome. It's like, I don't want to spend $800 on that, but right. you know, that is freaking awesome. I'm going to go to you and we're going to get this. And I went like that. I'm like, yeah. that's great. And like I said, I've been very blessed with uh, an opportunity to make some unique, unique items. And yeah. and like, and that's one, something I'm, I'm kind of enjoying. Like I get excited when I get to make something unique. Like like you said, when you're making something new and, and, and I love to make something unique. I've even uh, offered some deals, even though I didn't have to. I'd have customers that come up with something so awesome sounding. I'm like, I want to make it. I'm like, I'm going to cut you a deal on this just because I want it done. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't do that often, but every now and again they'll do it. But like I love this idea so much. That's I'm gonna cut you right a there. deal True because I want to. I want to have that and be able to have a picture of that. You know. So yeah. Sometimes I'll, I'll do stuff like that. People come talk to me. You know, I'll work with them if I can. You know, I I don't just like lower my bar. Or I raise it on my website and then I just lower whatever I want. But you know, some people help out here and there. I've I've given I've donated to the LA uh, Whip Meet a couple times. Uh, yeah. I've given whips away to students that have helped me out. Like I teach kids martial arts, so I'll have a, a kid that's about to be the older group and the junior adults that helps me. With kids and they'll spend like six months with me i'll make them a whip and i give them a whip. i've given a few of those away as gifts i mean I've, I've, I've done quite a few things like that you know but but uh like i said i you know, i'm very charitable when i can be but yeah having somebody offer me an idea like i've i've cut discounts just so i could make it and mm-hmm. i know i would have got this sale full price but i didn't care i'm yeah. like you want this i'll tell you what what's you know like you really want to do this I'll knock off 50 bucks. You know, they're like, heck yeah. I'm like, all right, let's get this done. Let's move it. I can't wait to make this thing that I've never made yeah. that I've never seen anyone make. And I want to be able to, that's what really gets me going is to be able to make something just artistically beautiful. Like, like, uh, uh, Western stage props. I'm very fortunate to be a part of their family. Oh yes. And, yes. uh, like they, uh, when I, 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 after seeing Joe and us talking about him and stage props and he suggested originally like, man, you should, yeah, you should send him some whips. I'm no longer making them for him. And, you know, send him some whips if they want. And, uh, and I know Paul's there. Uh, P- Paul's been there for a while, you know, a long while. And, uh, Casey's been working with Paul, I think up until recently though, but he, uh, he was working with, you know, he's doing some stuff for stage props too. And I think he, it took him a while, but he finally got the Zorro gig, which is awesome. And Casey actually, uh, you know, Gotham, mm-hmm. he, he, he does the Catwoman whips for them now too. So, hmm. uh, Gotham needed a whip for Catwoman. Casey got that whip order. And so nice. uh, the whip on, on Gotham's Casey's and, um, Oh, but with this, you know, Joe's like, you know, send him some stuff in. And then I'm like, well, I'm not really trying to step on toes. I'm not trying to, you know, like I know Paul's kind of doing most of the Raiders or the Indy and Casey may do a few, but you know, Casey's kind of got his niche. Paul's got his there. I mean, you got Russell Schultz and some other people doing stuff. And, but when I sent them in, I did send them a Raiders, but I thought I wanted to send them a couple things that are just mine, like the fader, I call a fader whip. And I think, you know, I doubt I'm the, I know I'm not the first person to use leather and start with one collar and add another collar, mm-hmm. but I, I definitely took it to a certain series that no one's really done the way I do. I call the fader series, which, um, I, I do two tones into one tone or one tone into another one tone. Like I had a, I made this 12 foot Zorro black whip. And then about after the halfway point, I introduced red until the last, you know, until all of it's a red whip. And so I had that laying around, I had another fader, and I sent those to Western with, uh, I sent a Jones Jr., a little three-foot, uh, a four-foot eight-plat. Like, if you go on my website, I have a whip-making tutorial, I think it's like $150 to have for a lifetime to stream. Hmm. Uh, it's not really asking for much for what's all there. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just, but I also offer my, myself. Like, if you just buy that basic package, I'll still answer any question you got. You can call, you can talk. If you don't buy it, I'll still answer any question you got. I'll talk, I'll help you out, you know. Right. But, uh, but the video series is good, and I made on there, I showed how to make a, a Jones Jr. whip but that's the one I sent the Western Stage prop that they sell through there and uh, but I sent that Jones Jr. and those two faders and I sent them an 8 foot just so they could see my Andy stuff and again I wasn't trying to step on poles or anyone though. Mm-hmm. and then they, they saw it and they're like they're, they're pretty blown away they're like I've never seen I've never seen it like that this is a fresh take I've never seen anyone have this leather turn it on a leather like it so they really love the fader I think uh, both those whips are still up there and uh so after that, they start, you know, they talk to me and they're like, you know, I it just, it, like I said, just favors constantly just over porn on a lot of things if I really go over my whole career. But then they're, they're like, hey, we got on your site. We sell these saber whips. I, we do a lot of comic cons or things like that in these conventions. Like, I think they'd sell. Mm-hmm. And so I, I made them a couple saber whips. And, and then and I'm like, you know what? I, I wanted to make a Jack Sparrow themed pirate snake whip. And I wanted to make a Batman target whip, which yes. I made one before, yeah. but I made one. So I'm like, you know what? I'll make these. You, they, they like it. I'm like, yeah, I'll send it in. So I 
sent them to him. And so I made these a uh, unique whip, which to me is like, well, there's only one pirate's whip, guys. I'm like, there's only you know, one Batman. And mm-hmm. I sent it to him. Like, and they're like, oh, we love it. They put it up. And then the Batman sold them like, we need another Batman. I'm like, okay. And then I realized <laughs> whenever you buy anything, I don't know if they know how to work all their PayPal so much. It's like when you buy anything, it's like how many do you want to add to your basket? So it's like you could buy my 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 12-foot black and red fader Zorro. Uh-huh. You could buy 80 of them or something, you know. <laughs> it's like, and I'm like, and was, but the, so they took this, which I'm so thankful that they put them in stock. Yeah. But they're just like, well, now the Batman's a series of theirs. And I'm like, I made a one-off. <laughs> it's like, awesome, I can redo man. it. But it's like, no, no, no. The whole, I do not want to make another Captain Jack Sparrow snake whip, but but I will when it comes. <laughs> right. You know? But it's like that wasn't my intention. It's like exactly. my intention was to it's have a, a one-off now. unique whip. Yeah. If you want this Batman whip, guess what? You're the, yeah. <laughs> you're one of the only ones getting it. I mean, not this problem recreating it to an extent, but like mm-hmm. that was something I wasn't expecting. I'm like, there's just one one Captain Jack. It's like, no. Now they have it to wear if it sells. They're going to contact me and be like, all right, we need another one. I'm like, all right, I'll be, I'll get it done as soon as possible. But like, I wasn't expecting that, you know, and it, I've been just well receptive, received by them. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm just so thankful to be a part of the Western Stage Prop. And, and I kind of have their, definitely their unique, their unique whip offers. Cause you know, that, like you said, that's one thing that stands out to me is just my, my creativity and my vast random unique creations and so I think they're really they're really excited about that to offer something again which is why I do it to offer something no one else is offering yeah you know I would definitely say in that regard I I am definitely the most innovative whip maker currently out there not innovative on making a superior whip just making unique creations new ideas weird geeky yeah unique handles you name it you know I feel like 2016 2017 has kind of been the the age of enlightenment, so to speak, with whips, if you will. You know, you got April Choi doing her LED light yeah, thing around whips. And I'd like doing... to get a set of those. I, I was going to talk about making them. I think she's uh, so busy with Guinness and other stuff, she, she's kind of sworn off making some things for a while. But yeah. uh, there's other people doing it. I think the LED is a brilliant idea. Uh, yeah, keep yeah. going. Yeah. What else? There's a lot of unique things that came Absolutely. out. Absolutely. Uh, the LED was a nice touch. Yeah. So, Blake, what are some goals uh, for your for your whip company in 2018, what's Oof. what's next for Trinity Whips? Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know if you know. Uh, you can really say I have exactly like this is the one goal. Mm-hmm. Um, general goal is like I said, I, I'm about to make my 500th. I, I was going to make it uh, today or yesterday, but this is my time to come up here, and it'll be prolonged. But I kind of wanted to make that 500th this week, and, mm-hmm. and I probably will Friday. But um, my, my main goal, and when I realized I was serious, I, I there's an old adage I think David Morgan said, and I don't know if he told it to Paul, but Paul shared with me is David said that once you make a thousand whips, you will realize how little you actually even know about whip making. Kind of like uh, was it Plato or Aristotle that said, "True wisdom is knowing you know nothing." So it's like you know I, I think that's how that equates. Like if you once you make that thousand one, and, and and even though you're really good at a certain amount, you'll realize that there's so much at that point because you've been in it so long that you just will never master know. And and so I always saw a thousand as a goal. Like yeah. I, I want to hit that thousand. And I, I'm just so thankful and floored that I got to five hundred in four years. And I'm not I'm not going to take another four years if I can help it. You know. Uh, the first year I made 70 or 75, and the second year I made like 85, uh, I think it was 85 or 90, and then, you know, the next year I made like 160-something. I used to have it written down. 
Um, you know how it was, but then so I made like whatever was left, like almost two hundred this year or something. But but I'd like to think in the next two two years or so, I'd like to hit that thousand mark. Um, that's definitely a goal. It's definitely not a goal for two thousand eighteen. Mm-hmm. If I could make five hundred whips this year, I would be very happy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's possibly now though. Um, uh, like I've been very fortunate on a, like I said, I'm just blessed in a lot of areas from like stage props, time of Joe Strain, and other great whip makers. My unique series I've got up. Uh, the website's doing great. I've added a lot to my YouTube channel. We can talk about that later. Um, but uh, I would say one of my goals is I really want to get one of my whips on a silver screen. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's it's actually in graphs just by dealing with stage props. Um, I, I've also talked to a couple other people that are actually in the movies, which I don't know if that'll be lucrative, but I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, one of my, I've had a lot of nice marks that happened this year. I'm like, uh, I don't, you know, once again, I don't know how can I talk about this, but like uh, I sent a whip into the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular show in Florida. And I got a hold of them through Joe because Joe let me get a hold of his old contacts because he mm-hmm. used to run those whips. And then this last gig he passed on. And, and I didn't catch it before they, they went to someone else. But he, he told me, he once again, Joe's suggestion, I sent something in. So I got a hold of these guys and sent a whip in. And they field tested uh, a 10-foot Raiders. I actually brought it with my with some of my stash that you oh, can nice. check out. But that nice went through the gambit there. And uh, they said it it was very favorable, you know, response I got from them, let's just say that. And and it, they they, they got to realize they buy like I don't know ten whips at a time or twenty or something, and then they, they don't buy whips for like two or three years. But hmm. there's a from what I understand, I could be wrong, but I think I might get the next uh, bid for the Disneyland Studios, the Indiana Jones Stunt Spectacular, and hopefully that'll happen that year. I wouldn't really nice. call that the silver screen. I mean, I've got a whip in Circus Display. I've had other circus performers using my stuff, and <laughs> Adams used it. April one, uh, at, uh, yeah, April one, the most newspapers targeted with my record maker. And uh, with my seal, I originally had the record maker set up that if you could break the most cracks in a minute, I'd give you the whip for free. And she didn't win that record. She won another, and I went ahead and just gave it to her as a gift. So after she won the record, I went ahead. So, well, that's, you know, it wasn't the record. It was on the site. So I just changed the site and just said, any record you make. But I went ahead and just gave her that gift and said, congratulations on winning it. Um, but, like, you know, that was something really nice that happened this past year, too. Um, like I said, I, I'm really hoping to get a silver screen. And I know through stage props is where a lot of these got in. Like, you know, that's where Joe got a lot of, not all of it, but he got a lot of his movies in through orders, through stage props. Like, that's where Casey got his Gotham. Paul got uh, the Lone, well, Joe had the Lone Range originally, but then they, they needed more whips and they, they sent it to Paul uh, because they, they forgot they sent it to Joe or something. And I mean, they did some other things like that too, where they had a, a lot of their movie whips, a chunk of Joe's and Paul's and some other people did come from stage. So being a part of that family, I know I'm earmarked for that in the future. And I look forward to that. Mm-hmm. I hope it's a movie I like if it happens. I, I just hope it happens. But it'd be nice to not be a movie that my morals are completely against. <laughs> right. But, but I would love it. You know, I don't really want a Fifty Shades of Grey. But, right. But, you know, I'd take right. it, I guess. Uh, but, but I would like that to happen. That's one goal I'd like to see. Cool, man. Um, it, it just, it'd just be nice to have on my belt just to be able to show that to people, and you know. Uh, not like I want to ride that coattail, but that—that's—I would say that's something I would love to see, love to see happen any year. But oh, I would sure. love to yeah. see that happen this year. Um, I can't really influence that goal too much. Just keep doing what I do, and you know, keep knocking it out for stage props. And they'll get an order be like, I will send this one to Blake. You know, so hopefully that'll happen in your future. Cool, man. That that would be spectacular. As a wit maker, I mean, to see to see your work in a film, yeah. like man, something that other people relate to. Because yeah. like right now, we you know. Like I tell people when you talk about, you know, my, my wife has to introduce herself sometimes. I'm like, well, what's your husband do? And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, well, you know, you, you see, she's like, well, he teaches martial arts. And she still does it. I tell her, like, just tell martial arts. Don't even say women. You know? <laughs> right. like, just, just say martial yeah. arts. 
But uh, she'll say, like, well, he makes whips. And then I say, whenever you say this, you have to add immediately without a breath. Indiana Jones. Like <laughs> Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, that's the ultimate profile. It's like, whenever exactly. you see somebody, hey, uh, I do whip crack and I make whips, and then you either get one or two things. Oh, like Indiana Jones? Or they're like, oh, yeah, I bet your wife likes that. You know, it's always <laughs> right. some S&M humor because yeah. that's how the world associates exactly. whips. It's either, Indiana, yeah. and it's funny, even the non-whip world, it's either sex, S&M, or it's, it's, it's Indiana Jones. Right. So I say, just say it now. That way you don't have to deal with the joke that's going to come up every time you mention it and have to blush yeah. and play it. I'm just saying, like Indiana Jones. Yeah, for, for me, it, it's routine. my routine is I'll just be like, oh, I make uh, bull whips for cattle ranchers. Yeah, that's not bad. That's, that's, kind of that's a, a good start. diffuser, too. Yeah, you ever seen the movie like, Indiana Jones? Yeah. Some people, when they say no, I'm like, oh, I'm done. Bye. Yeah. But, but that, that's another thing, too. It's like you have nothing to show people. But like uh, like Indiana Jones would be one, but there's only one Indiana Jones. Or like yeah. when people watch Zora, they notice the whip. Like Lone Ranger, they barely use the whip. So you wouldn't be like, ah, I see a Lone Ranger. You know, but like it would be nice to have a movie that encapsulates whip making, or not whip making, but whip cracking in a way that it could be accessible to the average person. And I want to say this real quick because I want to. If you guys are making a movie out there, you in movie land looking for whips and you mm-hmm. hear this, come to me. I've got some great choreography ideas for my martial art cra- training. Yeah. But what I would want to see is, I like I want to see a scene where the the star has a whip. The whip is used to some cra- a lot of stuff, but most importantly, there needs to be a scene in the movies where the guy shows maybe a kid how easy it is to do a cattleman's crack or just to do a crack. And maybe he shows him how to snuff out a candle, I don't know, cut a leaf. Either way, he shows the kid how to do that. And by doing that, he also shows the world how to crack a whip, and that's that easy. And I think that would help grow because right there it lets people see how to do it, easily taught. A kid can do it. It's it's now accessed and available on a multi uh, worldwide media level as opposed to you're that one geek looking on YouTube for how to crack a whip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, yeah. I, th- I would love something like that to happen. I think that's what it would take. Like Iron Man 2, man, that should have made whips explode. Joe made those whips. Oh, yeah. But the problem is no one knows the real whips because the, the studio sitting here put like these uh, metal exoskeletons on it. Yeah, and, and they're CGI electricity, all this lightning. Right? Yeah. yeah. So it's like no one knew there were whips, you know, yeah. and it's like uh, the Kingsman just came out, and it's an all or Kingsman too. It's an the Statesman whip is an all CGI whip. Yeah, they have a rope to it at one point, and they might have had this quick prop, but it's like it was, you know, there's no real whip there. I'm like, these these like Iron Man two could have really launched because uh, you got to realize Iron Man two was a huge blockbuster hit, oh. and to have Mickey Rourke using whips, it's like I think that could have really enticed the public. But again, it became an electric superhero whip that no one could ever have in their hand so i think it killed the ability for the average person to realize this can be done it's out there i can get one i can do it i think if we have a movie that can convey that in one small way like i said just a hero showing a kid how to do it and then maybe that kid uses that technique to help him out at the end like something like that i think would help if not our generation start the next generation of kids Mm -hmm. so it can grow but 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 you out there in the whip world and the whip community and the whip cast if you guys don't open up and share what you do with others, try to find local whip groups or try to create local whip meets with the people in your area, it's not going to grow. We don't have to grow. But one of my mission statements is I do want to see the whip community overall grow. I want 
twice as many people out there cracking whips. And unfortunately, if it is to be, it's up to me, the old adage. The old adage. So if it is to be, you've got to do something about it. You've got to contact all your friends. Just once a year, set up a whip meet. Find a park. Invite everyone and your friends' friends. But if you guys are out there in a park cracking whips and a lot of people don't have fun, you're going to get people around you to oh, come yeah. in. Because I can't see any other way to really get people into this. If the movie industry ain't going to do it, yeah. it's up to us. We and sadly, it. it's one person at a time. Yeah. I keep a whip in my car all the time. I keep a <laughs> I keep a Paul Nolan little snapper in my coat pocket. Nice. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I, I I had one before I made on my own, but but I just keep that on there. So if it ever comes up, I, I haven't I've only pulled out a handful of times, but it's like there it is, and it fits in a fifth pocket. Yeah. Paul Nolan, your little snapper fits in my fifth pocket of jeans, and that is phenomenal because that's what a fifth pocket I found it is actually for a Paul Nolan little snapper. Yeah. But uh, I, I I put that in my fifth pocket when it's warm. I'll just keep it in, that, in my pants pocket, my short pocket, and just have to whip out if needed. Yeah. I don't use it a lot. It's but it, it is it is good to have some product. Like if you go to a high school reunion one day, like what do you do? You make whips. Do you got anything to show? Oh, I don't really. <laughs> I can't use a twelve foot bullwhip. Yeah, oh no, I'm on a cards. Without, oh, without no. getting frisked or uh, you yeah. know, brought down by the security. Or he's got a whip. You know. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I was at a wedding last year uh, with a couple of my friends, and at one point we're sitting at a table or we're eating. It's the reception actually, and uh, we get to talking about what we do, and I say oh, I make I make whips. Yeah, and uh, you know what they they continue saying. Well, okay, what? And, instant conversation stopper. Like everyone's gears are slowly turning. Right? Yeah, it's like, oh. sometimes you get a what? No, show me. I'm like, all right. So I run to my car and grab a, a 24 plat white Dacron whip that I made. As the one with uh, that Star Concho, right? That yes, thing was pretty sweet. Yeah, that's. I still have that in my it, car. It rolls out well. Thanks. A two degrees is probably not not great for it, but you know. <laughs> um, but anyway, I take it out. And I, I crack it a few times, and they're just they're blown away. Like, they've never seen something like that in person. I know. It's insane, you know? I mean, I, I was that guy, too, you know, up until 10 years ago. You know, yeah. like, uh, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's just like Katniss came out. Uh, the archery business flourished with Hunger Games. I bet it did. Because it wasn't just an archer. I mean, Rambo came out. It's a girl. It is a, a 15-year-old girl with a bow. Yeah. So... There was so much collateral came in. Like that was their that was their moment. That was their fifteen minutes in the archery world. I mean, the arrow's doing good. I'm sure you get people from shows yeah. like the arrow, but yeah. like that Katniss brought young girls, tweens. Oh yeah, tween Twilight tweens. You know, like <laughs> these girls in on that that block. And 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 unless we have something like it, I mean, I, how are you going to know? Unless you 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 are the nut. You ha- you're we're the nut to our friends, and our friends have us as a nut. No mm-hmm. one's going to crack a whip. Have whip unless they grew up on a ranch. And the half time you talk to ranchers, it's like there was only that one guy that ever really mm-hmm. had a whip. Like, mm-hmm. well, we had this one guy that used to make whips, and he always had a whip. But man, I never really played with him like I should have. And now that I'm, you know, forty years old, I'm looking for some exercise. Like, I like a whip from you, and I'm like, that's great, you know. But it's like there's always someone at a rancher only knows that one guy. And you think if anyone would have whips, it'd be ranchers, you know. So right. it's just. It's just really shocking how uh, I wouldn't say our society is introverted, but just so how uh, small the world is, like the whip world is. Like it is larger. Than, I mean, I don't know everyone. I don't know half of everyone because you do find out there's more people all around the world all day long from these different Facebook groups or YouTube channels. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, there's constantly stuff popping up, but it, it really is a small world as far as professional whip makers or we all kind of know each other to an extent or have talked to each other. And it's, it's a very small community, you know, like a. I think recently, you know, there's happened before where new whip makers will 
I don't think they know what they're doing. Sometimes they might. I mean, people argue. But I think they'll take pictures of their whip makers and then they'll put it as their product. Like, I can make this. I think they're just trying to say, I know how to make an Allen whip. I could make this for you. But I'm like, mm-hmm. you shouldn't do that because you didn't make that whip. So honestly, you can't make that whip. Yeah, you can make a red and white whip <laughs> like that. But that's not your whip. you know. And I think some people do it fraudulently, but some people don't. They're just trying to be like... Well, I don't have the work to show people what I probably could uh-huh. do, and and you know I, that's caused a stir in the world. But like I said, it's such a small world that you know you can't even rip off pictures without half the people recognizing. Oh, that's yeah. not your whip. That's a, that's day. a Red Kelly. You're right. You know, oh, that's yeah. a you know that's a Thea Reed. That's a no. That's a Schrader special. You know, it's just like you know you can tell that stuff, and you know, and, and it shouldn't be that small. Like this world, since it is worldwide, I mean, it shouldn't be this small. Like in Australia, it's a whole other world. Oh, like man, Australia's whip cracking is like uh, our baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, like not that baseball is really popular anymore, but <laughs> but like America was known for apple pie and baseball. You know, and it's like Australia is known for kangaroos and turning them into whips. <laughs> <laughs> I want to you know, see a video where somebody world, like. Yeah. Somebody goes out and hunts a kangaroo, yeah. and then like processes it. They eat the eat the meat. And then Richard Taub, like from, uh, from... Richard Taubel, man, I'm telling you, <laughs> I don't know if he eats the meat. Maybe uh-huh. he makes a dress out of the head. I don't know, but he like he. I found out that uh, not through him, so I could be wrong. But I found out that he actually hunts the kangaroo. The skins I get from him, he what? hunts the kangaroo, and then he sends it into pack or wherever to get processed, and then he'll. No you know, way. I, I buy my exotics from. Richard Taubman, he's uh, he's in Australia. You guys ever want to get some good uh, exotic oh, yeah. leather? People definitely, ask. Definitely go to Richard Taubman as far as like getting the. Uh, there's other people, but like uh, you know the red. Well, not the reds. Reds are drum stuff, but like uh, you know the blues, the greens, the yellows, the yeah. the crazier oranges and stuff like that. Um, definitely go to Richard Taubman. I've gotten from him for a couple years. And he takes care of all the the imports and 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 documents, so you can just buy from him and he'll mail it to you. Hmm. But I would recommend only buying small orders. Um, not saying to avoid customs. I am certified through customs, and I have my permits so that I can import. But uh, I thought I was already certified, and something happened in the process, and so I just started getting shipments in, and they always came. So I thought, oh, maybe everything's working out right because. You know, and then uh, eventually I bought a bunch from Packer, and uh, I got like I don't know 115 kangaroo skins I ordered, and they came in three big shipments, but they all got stopped at the same time, and so I had to make sure my the paper the paperwork didn't go through. I had to redo the process, but it's like I got skins from Richard for a year and a half, no problem, but I'd mm-hmm. only get like a smaller amount. So I think when I came in with these three big bundles of like you know 33 skins a bundle, yeah, and they all came at the same airport in Chicago, <sighs> they're like we're flagging this, yeah, know? right, and so you, most time you don't get caught by customs, but if you do. You know you're in for it. You're gonna to have to you know spend two three hundred dollars, well three to four hundred dollars to get your permit, processing fees, and, and a couple other things. Hmm. And uh, I never had to worry about it. I thought I was clear. Like I went ahead and went down that bridge. You know I crossed that bridge before I got to it. Turns out it wasn't crossed, but I did that in case. But either way, I got tons of shipments from Richard without around my customs. They never <laughs> got stopped because I think the problem was getting too big. And I've talked to some other whip makers that do it too. And they're like, yeah, if I keep it within like 20 skins, it's so small or so whatever, no one stops it. Mm-hmm. But every time I did get stopped, I had like 50 plus skins. So keep the order somewhat small and be ready to be ready to get a fish and wildlife and pay for <laughs> some fees just in case. You got to always keep that in mind, you know. Um, and if you're in California, this is interesting too. Like, I think it's illegal for you to import skins to California still. They've had this ban going on. Jeez. But the thing is, you can buy a kangaroo skin from, like, say, Sheridan Leather or Texas, somewhere in Texas, like Harky or these other places. You can buy it and ship to California, but you can't get a skin imported internationally <laughs> to California. So, you know, every now and again, I'll whip maker friends that'll have me buy my skins and or buy them through me. So uh-huh. then when I get them, I just ship them. 
across the border because they're not getting it from Australia anymore. They're getting it from me in yeah. Indiana. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's just, you, you definitely want to check your laws like that too, you know, in some of those cases. And there's ways to work around it. Like I said, you can have kangaroos shipped to your house. It just can't be from Australia when you get it from yeah. California. It just, there's all sorts of loopholes and things until you've been in there. You know, you have to get caught with that. While we're on the subject of kangaroo hide, uh, I've get a lot, I get a lot of people asking me, about using chrome tan hide, which is chemically tanned hide. How do you? What do you feel about about using um, that? Because well, it's definitely cheaper than drum uh, stuffed. You know, um, my my strengths when it comes to whip making is not <laughs> is not. Let's <clears throat> is that on? Is not uh, like uh, not doing like I don't know the history of whip making as much. Like there's other people that really stick on who taught who who taught that. You know, like Tom, like Tom Hill had Terry Jack was his last apprentice, and Tom Hill had all these other guys, and then David Morgan learned from him, and it is said that Tom Hill's original design was the Indiana Jones whip, although David Morgan used the nail spike, which is unheard of, but the double belly method, other stuff came from Tom Hill in Australia. I mean, there's all these histories from America and Australia. And like, I am not that guy. I am not that guy. I, I, I do know names, but I'll even confuse some names because they're so old and I don't use them every day. I, I don't remember who taught who and everything. Um, and when it comes to understanding leather, you know, I'm like I said, I'm, I only do kangaroo. I mean, other than the cow and the kip I get in, I only do a kangaroo. So mm-hmm. um, I have gotten different kangaroo, and I've, I've I've even lost money trying different kangaroo from eBay to mm-hmm. just other stuff. I mean, you just might as well try it. I've I've tried a lot. I don't. I've gotten some kangaroo from people. I'm not even sure what type it was. Like I got this one kangaroo that I think I asked Joe what it was because he said it was odd. He said I think it's aniline tan. I still don't know if it is aniline tan, but I did research aniline tan. It could have been aniline hmm. tan. Um, I'm sure I've had some chrome. I've had some veg. I've had. I love drum stuff. The only problem is in drum stuff. That's where you get your earth tones, like other than red. So you get like natural saddle tan, mm-hmm. whiskey, brandy, black and red, and, and you usually get those in the states. But again, all kangaroo you find in America came from Australia, and mm. one way or the other from Australia. But like I love drum stuff better than veg tan. Now I know people are gonna be like. Drum stuff is veg tan. It's just then oiled in a drum. I know that, but but we call it drum stuff, so we don't have to say I'm getting veg tan drum stuff. You know, it's like I'm getting drum stuff. We all know what that means, you know. But like, you know, I don't I don't understand the full tanning process and all this stuff. Um, I, I I know buyer beware on eBay. Watch what you're buying. There's some guys yeah, in there yeah. that you get from Australia and sell them super cheap, and it may may be crappy high that really ain't made for leather. I will tell you that if you do experiment and you do, like, I, I'm sure I've used chrome tan. I don't know if it was chrome tan. Mm-hmm. Or I may even have some chrome tan. I know Richard, I, he has some sort of tan. I think it's more than just veg tan, all his collars. But the, the tinsel strength seems to be great. Um, but but with that, if you get a piece of kangaroo and you're like, I just don't trust it or I don't like it, I don't think it'd work good for an overlay, well, you and if it's cheap, you just found good, uh, good, good bellies. Mm-hmm. So you know, worst case scenario, the middle piece will make some nice, colorful accent knots. So even if you get a skin that you don't think would actually be worth the wrapping paper, which is very important, the outside layer, man, you can still use it for the inside or use it for other stuff, you know, involved yeah. with the process. So don't be afraid to try it. Um, like I said, if you're already making whips and you've made a few and you want to experiment and money's not that big of an issue, it's still, I mean, money's always an issue, but. But you know, man, you can you find a good deal for this forty dollars skin from uh, Amazing Go or whatever the guy's name is, Anime Amazing on Australia Go, whatever these guys from uh, eBay on Australia. Man, might be want to order it, and then you can see, ah, this is why I don't buy this skin. <laughs> but you know, you get to compare it and you realize, okay, I, that's wow, that's weird. I mean, it's all leather. I can't believe leather feels this different or stretches yeah. this. Different. I mean, it is crazy. I, I was talking to Peter Thorndike about it the other day that it's very interesting that. 
when we get our kangaroo skins that it seems that whatever the dye process is, now I'm not talking about whether it's chrome tan or veg tan or drum stuff, the dye itself affects that creature mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with the actual process to whether it accepts water or doesn't accept water. And like we've noticed uh, on certain skins, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I was talking to Peter about it, and I'm like, I think maybe it's purple. Like every time I get a purple, it doesn't want to take water at all. Mm-hmm. And there's like some other colors that kind of do it. Like anytime you get saddle tan, it tends to be whenever I get saddle tan regularly, saddle tan tends to end up always being a red species, which usually want red species for like high plaque counts. I believe it's red instead of black. Or yeah, red, I think it's what red species and is it black species or is it, I forget what they call the kangaroo. Maybe it's blue, but they have different species name. But like mm-hmm. the red is the one where apparently uh, you can tell by the pores in it. Like when you actually see the pores, you can tell by the way they range, whether it's a red species or not. But that mm-hmm. one is apparently a stronger leather. So when you make like 64 plat, you want red species. You make like 72 plat, you know, just because the way it, it's just something about it that's better and the way it stretches and how strong it is. And, but it seems to be like whenever I get a settled hand, it's always it just happens to be a red species. It just stretches unbelievable like that or has the same pores. Like, why do they do? They wow. just say, well, here's a red species. It's going to be saddle. I don't think they do it, but it tends to be like that. Uh, certain things like uh, I've never had a problem with brandy snapping. I've had tons of saddle snap. Every now and again, I'm going to go to bad natural. I've never had a problem with the brandy. Maybe once or twice, but it's like, it seems like whatever the dye is used on the brandy strengthens that hide. And it's weird that some of these hides are like that. And even with the exotic colors, you found certain colors. Uh, are making a making a hide stretchy. Certain different dyes are making them not want to absorb water because whatever's in that dye is, uh, you know, an expectorant or whatever you want to call it. I don't call it expectorant, but it's like water resistant. Right, right. You know, you might. In which case, if you have a skin and you guys are trying to stretch it or work it, you know, look. Usually, you get a wet stretch. Do not use hot water. First of all, do not. Mm hot water wet stretch leather and it's not because it's going to destroy the skin it's because when you you wring that out and that hot water it's going to take all the oils out of that skin mm. and you can still use it but if it's natural i bet in three weeks it's saddle it's i made that mistake yeah, yeah, yeah. a few months ago yeah, yeah. like basin stretch technique you know that's that's something we can touch on a little yeah. bit too like uh, what i used to compare that um but but you know so say it doesn't take water very well well, then use lotion. I mean, you got to. I mean, use cream, not lotion. But yeah. you know, like uh, you you can use some of your dubbin or something else you have. You could, you know, I'm gonna, you know, not Picard's. I mean, you want, and I'm not talking about plaiting soap. You know, I mean, you could use plaiting soap. But if you're trying to stretch it, you don't want a wet stretch because it doesn't take water. Get get some other type of leather conditioner on that to stretch it. That way, it still lubes it up so it's not dry and it'll still do the same effect as water. You know, but like that, that's something else. You know, you just you just can experiment and play with, and when it happens, you'll know what to do now. You know? mm-hmm. But yeah. Uh, like, yeah, like that. Like there's there's little things. Like when I first learned to stretch uh, my strands, uh, I believe I don't know if Steve was doing it off the Bernie method, but you'd have like a little hook on a wall or a little latch somewhere, and then what you would do is, I think this is where we would. I, I don't know if we did a little half hitch on it where you mm-hmm. tie a little loop. We might have just actually pulled it back and forth. Um, some people put a little half hitch. On it. Put a little half hitch on it. So in other words, you just uh, you lay the strand on the little hook or corner, pull, whatever it is you're going to stretch it on. And then you just basically tie a loop around it. And then when you pull it through from one side to the other, that little loop um, takes the goes around the strand. So when you pull it through, the strand that's coming through is wrapped around and it's smashing that area. So it gets pulled through this really tight, I guess you call it an eye. I guess you call it an eye that it's getting pulled through, of the, the, the strand that's already pulled through it. And so you'd pull this and stretch it hard. And I forget where I heard to use hot water. So for a while there, I was using hot water. And hot water did seem to 
do certain things to it that I thought were that I thought were made sense and made me better. But yeah. then after I started getting into it more and I watched how Joe stretch, I realized how wrong it was. And it was one thing I couldn't answer for a handful of whips there was for a while was whenever I noticed that like my natural wouldn't stay natural very long. It would just darken so fast. And I found out, and if you ever noticed it, if you ever did do hot water, that's why, it, like I said, it, the hot water would take the oils away when I stretch it. But it would also take it away because when I wrap around a hook and pull it through, and if you've ever done this, you guys out there, where you took a leather strand and got it hot or not hot, but you wrapped it around that little hook and pulled it through, it is splattering water. Like it oh, is, yeah. it, the water is launching off that hook as you shoot it. Like yeah. your whole back wall is going to be dyed black or whatever <laughs> you've got that hook on from all yeah. the splattering. And so you pull it through, but you got to realize all that water isn't just water and all that oil or that dye isn't just dye. It's the oils in the dyes from that skin that are leaving your product by putting it in a half hitch, even if it wasn't hot, that hat hitch sprays out and makes you lose your oils. Yeah. And my biggest problem with stretching conventionally where you wrap around a little half hitch or a hook, uh, what I do is I have a yoke. So I'll put a yoke, if you want, put it in a vice, but I'll, I'll put a yoke on a hook. And then I just pull, I just... I just actually pull straight back. Mm -hmm. well, not quite like how you braid, because we're not talking about braiding technique, but I, instead of wrapping around a hook and pulling the strand through, I just grab the very tip of the strand, and it's anchored on the wall, and I just pull straight back until I feel every ounce of stretch come yeah, out of it. Yeah, it distributes that tension so and, you're and, not... And uh, that's how I saw Joe did it, and i got to tell you, it, it, it changes your game um, as far as time and ability. So when we get it hot and we half-hitch it, or we don't get it hot, but we half-hitch it and pull it through... Here's what I notice on my own. I, you know, once again, I could be sincerely wrong. But what I noticed is when I wrap it up round and then I start stretching it in that little little half hitch, it did stretch the leather. Mm -hmm. But you got to realize it's getting pulled through a little loop around a round hook, and so it's not stretching straight like how I would braid. Part of it's stretching left, part of it's stretching right, part of it's stretching forward. Part mm -hmm. of it's, I mean, it's really almost like a random 360 stretch-a-thon going on as you pull that strand through that half hitch. And so it's not all stretching the same direction in the same way. Yeah. And, and so not only are you losing oils, and you're also creating rough curves. Like when you have to like knock off the rough of your strand, by putting on a half hitch, you're going to have tons of hard it feels hard too like hard jagged turns yes. that you got to knock off because yeah. you used that half hitch and pulled it through and yeah. it makes even the prep work even more crazy whether you whether you used it by hand or use the jig or whatever yeah and so by pulling and also here's the other thing how long do you have to wait for that to dry when you would immerse it and hook it like it shot a lot of water out but also by running it through that hole you also shoved a lot of water in there it like took a lot of water out but it also like and like it kind of reverse sponged it it's mm -hmm. It made that water shoot out, but it also, as it came through, it absorbed in what was in there. Yeah. So you wait. You have to what? Wait overnight or several hours for it to dry. Yeah. I used yeah. to put a fan on. Like after I did, I put a fan on, and then in a half, it take a half an hour to an hour for my overland belly to dry. I showed Steve that tit trick, and he's mm -hmm. like, "That's brilliant." And that was years ago, though. But I was like, "That's brilliant." I'm like, "I know, right? I ain't gonna wait two days for a day overnight." And, and but now with the other method I do, where I, I dunk it in room temperature, I put on a hook and I pull straight. I can literally start prepping it in 20 minutes. It's already dried up enough. And then after you stretch it, you can just take a cloth and rub it down. Mm -hmm. And it's probably dry in 20 minutes. Ready to work on, not wait overnight. And it's all stretched in the same way. And it's being stretched straight back. It's also stretched in the same way so far as to speak as how I'm braiding it. Not that I pull straight back when I braid, but the fact is you're pulling on a strand. And when I braid, I would be pulling on the strand the way I would braid anyway. So you're not pulling it through this random loop that's twisting around a loop to get out. It's right. even getting stretched in the way you'll braid. 
And even though, no matter how much you stretch out anything, there might still be a little stretch in there. So, you know, it's going to happen either way, whether you did do the round method or you did do the straight pullback. But I got to tell you, the time you save is immense. It's all stretched the same way. Mm -hmm. And you don't, and also, like I said, you know, like I said, you know how it's stretched, which I already kind of repeated that number two, but you know how it's stretched. It's not some random circle to where it's creating these weird curves out of the straight lace, which makes it more difficult to prep and everything. In addition to that, one of the biggest reasons that I switched over from using that method to just the straight pulling back method is that. Whenever I would get done stretching the hide, I would have these concave shapes along the entire oh, yeah. strand that I had to work with. And then when it dried, it would kind of dry like that. Uh, it'd, be you know? all, it'd be hard. Yeah. Because, right. it, because it just turned into a drier hide. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's where uh, uh, Casey sent me these little... He, he used to make his own little jigs. Kind of like I talked about Peter had these on the previous uh, podcast. Peter Thorndike has these uh, little clothespins. He makes his jigs. Well... Casey kind of used these little, I don't know, like little inch wide, three inch long, these little wooden shelves that, and they, they're like, just like trim or something, but they'd stack together and make a perfect rectangle. And then he'd put a lace in it and then box it in and then he put his blade on it. But he used these little wooden things and what he would do, and I, I use this forever when I stretch the other way is, and you can do it with a screwdriver, I'm sure you've seen other videos, but like once it's, it's dried like that and you, like you said, it's all rounded and it's rough. I would always uh, take his wooden jig because I like using wood, but I would place it on the strand and put my thumb on it, and then I'd pull the strand down, and I'd walk. I had to walk back on every strand, yeah, so that it would smooth it out a little bit more and make it a little more supple. Because when it is uh, dried like that, like you said, it is so hard. I mean, it's not even soft strand anymore; it's this hardened strand. So yeah. I would, I would go top and bottom on that every strand, which again, that took more time. To have to like soften that up before I can work on it after waiting a day to try, mm-hmm. it, it just took. It also took more time, and it did not make a superior product, in my opinion. It made an even inferior product. It it, it it destroyed my material more than it would have been on the other method. And like I said, that's one of those things where if putting that extra effort would have made a superior product, and it did take a day to over to dry up, I'll just make it my system change. Uh, if doing that did make the stretch better, I would do it. But it does. It doesn't make it better, and it takes more time. And in fact, the fact that you're losing your oils to me ruins it. It's not mm-hmm. a good way to do it. But there's tons of people still out there doing it, you know. And and, and that's I'm not saying that they're wrong and I'm right. I'm better. They're not. But I, from my experience, it is it, it is doing these harmful things to your hide and making your your process worse. And if it's not benefiting you by either expense, time, or uh, artistical perfection, then you you need to let it go and find another method, or you should try other methods, you mm-hmm. know. Because ultimately, we don't want to spend, you know, why make one whip when we can make three whips? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? If right. it takes you three days to make a whip, it, it, the the average quote should be that if you're a professional whip maker, you should be able to make a whip a day. But that six-foot whip, maybe a six-hour day. That 10-foot whip, maybe a 10-hour day or 11-hour day. Just like how long is your day? Yeah. And if it takes you three days to make a six-foot whip, like literally like three eight-hour session days... You know, you, you you definitely cannot be a professional whip maker. You know, if it takes you three days to make a nylon, a nylon bull whip, like it literally takes you 18 hours, 20 hours to make a six foot nylon bull whip, you cannot be a professional whip maker because you can only make like two a week, you know, yeah, and it's like, yeah. it wouldn't be very feasible for you. So you either have to do, to, to be a professional, you'd have to do something different. You have to improve, well, you should improve and be faster, but it's like, you know, this is where techniques are coming into play. If you want to be professional, you got to realize you got to get paid for your time, and I don't. And and say you sell whip X for a hundred dollars, no matter what, it only sells for a hundred. If you spend three days to make that hundred or one day, you're not going to want to keep making that hundred dollars for three days work when you can do it for one. You need to figure out how to speed up the process, 
But like I said, if it's not artistically helping your the, the overall appearance or it's not making it functionally better, you shouldn't reinvent the wheel with all these weird ways to make lips. Now, I do want to encourage you all to explore and be creative and inventive. You know, you guys have different walks of light. Some of you guys play hockey. You know, people suggest use shrink wrap tape or other weird things. It's like you guys have this stuff in your world or like the Kevlar thread. We use Kevlar, Kevlar thread public. Man, use that. Try that. You got things in your life that only you see. I don't fly planes like Nick. I, I've been in three planes, but I don't fly <laughs> planes. There's something he gets from flying that I'm sure helps his whip make it in a way that I'll never understand because that's a part of him that's unique. You guys have this stuff. Try it. But also, like I said, don't just try and be like, well, I tried it once and I thought it was okay. I'm going to do it. Make sure you're going to redo it for good reasons, not just because. You know, like, you know, if, if it makes a better whip, use it. If it helps you make a better whip, use it. If it just makes you think you make a better whip, <laughs> man, use it. You know, like, don't be afraid to do different methods and try. Don't be afraid to stop and realize that you need to, to stop certain methods or utilize more methods. But if it takes you three days to make a whip, a six foot whip, I'm not, you know, you, you, odds are you're a beginner, but even not, that's great. If it takes you three days, that's great. Be proud. Enjoy that whip. I'm not slamming you that it takes you three days. And like, oh, it makes me only six hours to make a six whip. Then that's great. Keep doing it. All I'm just saying is that when you're trying to, you know, if you are wanting to be professional, you, you don't have enough time in the world to spend three days on a six foot whip. You have to change your methods or figure out how to speed up whatever you can on the process. Even mm -hmm. if you can't change your method, you got to learn to systematically make a whip quicker somehow. You know, maybe it's just the way you juggle your time. Learn to get rid of your wasted time. Learn to get rid of your processed wasted time. Like, yeah. like one thing I, I like, I know a lot of people make whips and they'll do like, well, I've got, I've got five whips. Well, I'm just going to make whip one. So I cut the bellies. I cut, you know, I cut the bellies. I build it all. Then I cut the overlay. I braid it. That whip's done. And to me, I'm like, well, that's great and all. And I'm pretty fast because my methods I use, I can go a lot faster than average people. But I'm like, well, if I got five whips, well, I got a whole day of cutting out every one of them. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, yeah, the yeah. next day I'm going to stretch them all yeah. and I'm going to prep them all. And then uh -huh. I'm like, the next day I'm going to start building the cores. Maybe, I'll, maybe I will just pick one at that point and finish yeah. it. But why sit there and cut one overlay out a day when you can cut three overlays out right in the same sitting, stretch them all at the same time, and heck prep them all at the same time because you know if you guys start prepping by hand and and you're let's just say you're, you're doing the onion method you're doing where you have like a three belly method and each belly instead of a four strand belly which is something we can start talking about maybe a, a later on or something about method but like when you have a four strand belly versus a, you know their first belly being a six strand and the next one an eight strand and a 12 strand which a lot of these onion or burning method makers they do it they make a nylon approach where you have to have more strands for each belly instead of just four on the first and four on the second like my method can do, uh, but with all these all these layers, and it just takes so much, so much more time to make these. I think that's where I was going with it. It takes so much more time to make a six strand belly than a four strand. There's two extra strands to make an eight strand second belly compared to an eight, a four strand second belly. It's twice as many strands. I mean, it's like yeah. you're taking more material and more time to have eight strands. You're gonna have eight, you're gonna have more waste. Like just alone, the waste. You're gonna have more waste, yeah. even if you have smaller strands compared to my fat strands. You still have eight strands, and there's got to be some waste, and you're going to lose waste. So, I mean, you're going to waste time, and you're going to waste material, mm -hmm. you know. And, and, and you know, you, you want to, if you're trying to be a professional, you got to find all these ways to cut corners, speed up your process, and hopefully not bleed a lot of money out like that, you know. But, you know, in your own process, you'll make your own decisions. You'll, fi you'll figure out your own balance and what you want to go with this. But, you know, um, methods can play a huge part of whether you can feasibly pull this off, you know. 
Uh, like I said, it should take a good whip maker about six to seven hours to make a six foot whip, give or take. You know, I mean, if you're making a fancy handle braid that takes you an hour to braid the handle, it's not going to take six hours. Mm-hmm. It's going to take longer. If you've got some specs you have to hit on a whip, it's going to take longer. Sometimes God will be like, I want to see a tapered handle. Mm-hmm. It needs to be 22 millimeters off the knot, and then it better be 20 millimeters right before it hits the transition. Once <laughs> it's done with the transition, three inches down, it needs to be 17 millimeters. It's like, I got to hit that. So yeah. now you you got to kind of measure every layer so like things like that take time making a match set it is a lot longer than making two whips i mean you really want to match them as much as you can so there's a lot of check and recheck and pause and move on yeah. you, you you can cut them all prep them all together start to braid them all together but like you you've got too many things you have to kind of match up which really slows down your process and that effect that affects you know time or prices too you got to factor in those things too Earlier, uh, you were talking about, you know, when, when somebody is a beginner whip maker, they'll, they'll kind of tend to, to make a whip and then go, well, I'm going to do that better. And they'll unbraid it, they'll put it back together, and they'll be spending so much attention. Uh, and, and they're just looking at everything so closely. And oftentimes, I, I don't know if you feel the same way, but in other aspects of life, if I look at it too closely and take my time too much, I do a worse job than I would if I just kind of go through yeah, it. Like, like, over, with, like with, overthinking it. Yes, with, with music. If I'm learning a song, if I'm just learning every single note and playing it really slowly. But you've never sure. played the whole song once yet. Like you spent an hour getting through the first two stanzas, but you've never actually played right, the whole song right. crappy yet. And, and yeah, some yeah, yeah. some people would, would argue yeah. that it's it's better to just every step you learn mistake, from you, the you beginning. Right, yeah. But it's kind of better to just kind of power through it if you miss a few notes it's okay but still it's it's kind of a psychological thing you you made it through that that whip you made it through that song and then you can go over it and then just kind of start evening those things out yeah, like like know. i have my wife proofread some things every now and again yeah and it yeah. drives me so crazy to watch her proofread like i like i sit there just gnawing my teeth regretting <laughs> i ever let her proofread really because yeah. like uh, because to me, I'm like, here's what I wrote. I, I like, it's a rough trap. I just, I just, blah, just yeah. put it all out there, read it real quick. And I want you just to read it so you know what I'm saying. And, and you're like, how did that impact you? Uh-huh. And she'll be reading it. And then she pauses every gram- grammatically problem and says, that should be a comma here. And it's like, oh, this thing was like, and I'm sitting here like, it should have took you three seconds to read this whole thing. I'm here five minutes deep and you're just telling me the problem. Like, yeah. I don't feel like you read this with a rhythm and a and right. Reading, motivated <laughs> right this speech is and, like and you're you know seeing, it's kind of like the that, black you know? ink it's on the like, white paper just... we can't even make it through the whole story and then could you get yeah. I, had, I had a teacher in school that said i read it once without caring i just read for content mm-hmm. then i'll rip you apart with what needs fixed and i'm like fair enough that's a good method yeah. you know and, and it's kind of like that with the whip making you're saying it's like you know these guys will proofread and reproof and edit and re-edit the uh-huh. same whip over and over and over again but ultimately, you got to figure out what's the phrase you know when to cut bait. It's yeah. like when is it, when is enough enough in this one? Like I like uh, when I first started making knots, then like my third whip, I already memorized how to make like a seven six or something. And Steve's like, "How the heck did you do that so fast?" I'm like, "Well, I made it eight times on my second whip. Before I got the strand with <laughs> right or this right or then this got cut or this now." So I'm like, "Really? Yeah, you're right. It, it may only be eight whips deep, but I've made that knot like eighteen times now." And I mean, yeah. And when it comes to knots, definitely. Do the knot over. Okay, let me rephrase that. Oh, don't redo goodness. the whole whip. Don't take the overlay off and resize it unless you really need to. I mean, don't don't worry about a little gap here. That's part of learning. You're new. Yeah. Don't worry about some kinks or some other problems, a bad drop. Like, don't let that stop you from turning in your assignment, boys and girls, mm-hmm. all right? But a knot's for sure. As my good friend Peter Thorndike, and hopefully you listen, is retire that knot. You know what I'm talking about. You retire that knot. 
You know, I mean, like, a, I'll see a knot and there's, like, sinew sticking out the bottom. And a guy puts the whip up, like, here it is. Well, the sinew's showing, but I figured I don't care. The knot was tied well enough. And I'm like, look, you know, that's one thing that, I mean, retying that knot or that foundation does not involve unbraiding the whip, yeah. taking the fall off, resizing, rebraiding. Right. You're talking about another 20 minutes of your life to 30 minutes just solving an aesthetically monstrous thing that you shouldn't accept for a whip that you buy from someone. Yeah, I get you guys might have little gaps. You're going to have these little kinks and it won't roll out the best. Maybe your taper ain't right. Maybe there's some issues. But it should crack and it's a decent whip. Mm-hmm. But the, 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 the wrapping paper, that overlay in the knots is the wrapping paper in the bow. Yes. And, and otherwise, you just got a cardboard box full of cat turds at your hands. So I mean, you got <laughs> you got to put some wrapping paper on it. And like that knot is a simple fix. I would, in a heartbeat, be like, oh, look at that. That sucks because I have to redo that. I, w- I want to let it pass, you know. Right, right. I mean, but as far as the little things, finish your painting, move on. Don't don't worry about trying to rebraid the same whip four times. You want to do it once, learn your lesson. Here <laughs> twice, you better learn it then. But mm-hmm. don't keep re-unbraiding these whips for for things that you may not even be capable of solving right now. I mean, you're still trying to understand the process. You don't even know what you're looking at or what your desired look will eventually be mm-hmm. once you've mastered it. So, And that's okay, you know. That's, uh, it's it, a... You're an artist. You're making a craft. It's handmade from natural materials. Mm-hmm. You are an artist. So Picasso probably hated all of his stuff but three items, man. Mm-hmm. And, but everybody loves him. So, I mean, don't let that stop you from finishing that painting, giving it as a gift, selling to someone, have fun. Feel good when you find... When you finally sell a whip at a, a nice, good price, you'd be like, wow, someone actually thought my work mm-hmm. was worth that. And that should be another milestone for you as a whip maker to finally be so proud and be like, oh, someone thought that whip was worth $400. And, you, and, and what that should do to you, and if you're a good person at all, you will then put your, 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 your foot in the stand and say, I owe it to anyone that is a patron of mine. And by patron means support my artistic craft by purchasing a whip. To make the best whip and every angle I can. Mm-hmm. So when I sell it to him, I can sleep well at night and feel good that mm-hmm. he got the best I could give him. And not some knot with some news sticking out because I just thought it looked good enough. Mm-hmm. You know? Cosmetically, I think, well, for me, when I see a whip, a picture of a whip, my eye goes to two places. First the taper, then the knots. Yeah. So... You know, Which is basically all a whip is. Right. <laughs> Which is the two things that You're make right, a whip. Right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, redoing the knot yeah. is definitely worth it. Yeah, you know, you know? It's, it's such a, you know, like, I, of course you hate doing it. I mean, if you, oh, yeah. it, like, I won't untie, like, if I tie a knot for a transition or a heel, and then I cut off my lead, and, you know, and it's all there, and I roll it, I cannot reuse that strand. <laughs> and I wouldn't want to reuse the strand on maybe a two-tone accent, because I can't reuse it, because one now that it's trimmed, it's shorter, yeah. I can't use it. You can maybe cut it in, in a certain length or use it for, like, an accent on another knot, but it's like, that strand's in. So I'm looking at, dang it, there's... 30 minutes of my time prepping, tying, whatever. And I'm like, and there's at least 10, maybe $10 of kangaroo I just wasted. And it's like, man, I don't want to lose that time in kangaroo. Mm-hmm. But it's like, but I'm giving something to somebody. And, and no matter, you know, like like a wrist loop. I had a wrist loop once. And I think this is one of the, you know, Adam Winrich, um, on my 35th whip, that was a blessing. On my 35th, 35th whip around that time, uh, Adam, uh, I forget how I started talking to Adam, but he was talking about it. And, he, you know, we talked about, um, you know, wanting to see some work. And I said, hey, I'd like it. Uh, I'd love to get a match to the stock whips. This is about three years ago. It really got me a two-handed whip cracking because I was pretty much a bull whip guy. and did a lot of single offs, something mm-hmm. I didn't use both hands, but I never did double whipping. And I'm like, I really want to set a stock whip, so I'd love to get some from you. So he said, yeah, why don't you make me an eight-foot whip? And I think it's on his GoPro special. You see him walk in there into his uh, 
tr- his uh, RV or where he lives in, and mm-hmm. he picks up a bag of whips. And there's a black whip on top. Yeah, that's yeah. my whip right there. That's nice. like my number thirty-five or something. And and uh, or maybe it's forty. It's somebody's really early off. And he, yeah. he, li- he liked whip enough. I've, I've since then have traded a lot of whips for that. I mean, he's bought a lot. Bought a lot for me, but like on uh, that 35th whip, um, I, I just tied the wrist loop on and I finally got done. And this was an uphill battle. Like I made him, I think I made him a whip and then he wanted it taper different because I was still trying to understand things. And I mean, I made it, I was very happy at how I was making him at 35. Don't be wrong. I've been very blessed with it. But, you know, he, he, he came back comments like, I want the overall taper to taper faster. I mm-hmm. want this to happen here or do that there. So he gave me some really great pointers, helped me out a lot. But on that 35th whip, I got done. And you got to realize this is after he turned the first one just because he said I'd like these improvements on it. Uh, and I realized if I had it all done, it looked really good as far as I could tell at my, you know, 35 whip level. You know, uh, But I realized that one of my wrist loop strands were flipped upside down. Mm. And I'm like, how did I bring, mm. you know, my black and small strands? Like, how did I do yeah. that? And I'm like, and a part of me is just like, well, he returned the first one. Uh-huh. How about, you know what, I'm just going to send it so when he when he goes ahead and deep sixes this one, I'll be like, oh, well, now I'll cut the knot off or use it. I'll make uh-huh. him another one or I'll just buy a stock whips, you know. And, and then that part of me was just like, I could do that. But I'm like, you know what, because I really don't want to ruin now, not only my wrist loop, I have to ruin my knot strand. I'm like, I'm looking at $35 or 30 a skin. I'm talking about all this time to cut and prep and oh, make yeah. it. But, but, you know, it's like you have to do it. It's, it's just retie the knot. You know, it's like I had to do it. And I put it on, and he, he, he loved the whip. He eventually sold it. He's got more since then. But, you know, he eventually sold that whip, but that was on that Grow Pro video, and he liked it well enough. And it's <laughs> like that one strand would have been a sign that I don't care. Mm-hmm. That one strand would have showed that I – let's just say this. He doesn't know I consciously did it. That means I'm so – unaware of my work that I didn't even notice it was there. That's another signal it could give you. Mm-hmm. That it's so incompetent, I didn't even notice I flipped that mm-hmm. strand. Every now and again, you'll braid leather and it's dark and it's night and you might With have the a conditioner flip here and there. And black yeah, and, and, and like brandy too. It's like, you, especially when you're talking about like three millimeters, you get something really thin or 2.5, yeah. it'll flip and you can't even tell the difference sometimes yeah. when the lighting's not right or whatever. But it's like, but at that moment, I changed it, I sent it to him, everything worked out really great. And, and if I wouldn't have done it, for all I know, that one little strand could have been enough to be like, well, the guy's learning, but I can't accept that. So always make it as good as you can. Mm-hmm. And if you are making for somebody that you respect or you've heard about in the community, you know, it's not like you make them a better whip than anyone else, but take a little more time with that. You know, and I would I would dare say that make a whip and within it, like say it is Adam, especially. Or like uh, you, you know, you're getting to, uh, to Loop Rollins or somebody like I, I'm gonna get something to Loop or the Anthony, you know, you're you're gonna give them a whip for the first time and you wanna impress them. You make one with the intention that that's the prototype mm-hmm. for the next one you're going to make afterwards to make it better for them. Or, or just take your time. Like, really go slow for these whips that, that are really going to maybe change change your life in the whip world. You know, like, if I, I would, you know, like, uh, I tended to when I sent something to Paul or Joe the first few times or whatever. I just made a whip and I didn't. I knew it would have problems, but I just sent it to him. I'm like, I'm not going to sit here and wait till I make a great whip for them to see. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, I just, I, this is me, who I am. This is my expression. This is my artistical expression in this moment. Here you go. Now tell me how it's bad, you know, or what you do different or what can you tell me? And, and it is good to do that. You know, uh, like I was okay with that. But there's also a time where if I know I was giving a whip to someone that I've never met before, somebody that I have high regard to, or even this new customer, I would not want to give them something subpar. Mm-hmm. That's why every now and again, you'll see like some really good deals on my in stock page. Something happened on it. Maybe it came up short an inch because maybe I had some strands break right when I was tying on the fall hitch. Or uh, maybe maybe something did come out in a, a certain diameter that I needed to hit for them. So I immediately threw it to the side and remade a whip and then brought that out there, you know. But... 
But, you know, it's like go for the effort to make the best you can. You know, you should really do that at all times. Like you'll get a customer, that, you know, and, and you may get this customer and think, oh, he, he bought a whip. And, you know, I'm not too concerned because, you know, I'll probably never sell a whip to him again anyways or whatever. But it's like it turns out that one customer isn't just one customer. He may buy, like I've had customers turn around and buy eight whips within five months. I even had to tell them to slow down. Like, hey, buddy, you've got this very expensive, what I call a crack habit. <laughs> like this crack habit is more expensive than the real crack habit right yeah. just as addictive and i'm like as your local physician i need to tell you that i think you have a habit and you need to slow down i've done this to customers i'm like are you sure you can afford these whips i don't know another whip maker in the world that would stop their customers and be like look i'm gonna talk to you right, right. are you sure you can afford this because i'm yeah. starting to worry about you bought some from me yeah. you got three from peter this month you got two from that guy and I'm like you're buying three from look you're can, you, up afford- to two grand. Yeah, can yeah. you afford this like yeah. i love you brother you know and uh-huh. You know, <laughs> but it's like you'll get a guy like that. Next thing you know, it's like because you did so good on whip, he may turn around. You don't even know what he's about to do, and then you'll find a customer that maybe it's like Andrew. The, like uh, you guys, have, you've heard the disciple Andrew. You know the original twelve disciples. Oh you know, yeah, yeah. You ever hear Andrew? You know who Andrew um, is or what he did? I forgot. You know why? Because he doesn't have a book in the Bible, right? Uh, oh but, yeah. But yeah. he was a connector. Andrew brought Peter to him and James. Imagine oh. Jesus without Peter and James. Might have been someone else that would have fulfilled God's role, but it's like he was a connector. So like you'll get a customer that may only buy one whip, but he'll bring you ten friends. Yeah. And and he's influential on like Facebook or other things. And be like when a whip, he'll be a guy to type for you. Be like, try Trinity Whip Co. Try next whip shop. Yeah. And it's like so give your best to every customer because you never know who this person is. You know what what could really happen if you gave them their best. So. You need to you need to treat everything. I wouldn't say treat everything like it's an exhibition or it's eight mile rabbit. You got to step up right now and you got one shot. But you should kind of look at it like I, every chance I can. I need to give my best product because I have no idea what's going to happen once it's out the door. You know, it could be somebody ripping you apart in a YouTube video. <laughs> you don't know what you're going to get. But but you know, it's like you 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 you'll do better to give them your best because it, it, it comes back to you. That's, I think that's something that holds us accountable as Whitmakers. Like, I, I remember Steve Steve Townsend, I was talking about this uh, with him, and he was saying, you know, you never know who you're going to send. Yeah. You don't know who's getting this whip. You yeah. know, you it could be, a, you know, a 20-year veteran Whitmaker. It could be somebody who's just getting one for the first time. And regardless of who it is, of course, you should be, you know, putting your all into it. But, you know, you don't know who's going to get that yeah. whip. Yeah, yeah. He, he's a, I love Steve. He 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 gets on himself. He's like a super perfectionist. Like that's one reason why I know he's he's he is good and he's going to be great. And oh, he's better a than me for that reason because he is so very like there can be perfection. <laughs> I do. You know, there's the perfection and you know. And, but but you know, it's it's a lot of wisdom that you know. It, he he's definitely always trying to make it like I want to make sure you get the best and I want to make them better for you and you know that issue. It's true. You you don't know who's going to get what's going on and like let's just say you. And here's the problem, too. When you get these people who never had a whip, and they'll come to you, and you you, you got to realize at that, that one moment, like, to me, that's the golden thing right there. If someone chose you for their first whip, man, mm-hmm. that is special. Mm-hmm. And you guys need to value him like the veteran that's bought 20 from you. Yes. He may never buy another whip, but it doesn't matter. You get to be that person in his heart for the rest of his life. He'll yeah. talk about that whip from Nick. You know, so it's like, yes. be there for that. Um, and with this, though, with a guy never having a whip, you could have all the flaws you want. Because I'll tell you, I doubt he's going to notice it. Just like I didn't notice my first 200 whip. The average guy who hasn't seen a whip has no idea what he's looking at 
or what he needs to make it a better whip. He has no idea. He doesn't know what plaque count is. Mm-hmm. He probably doesn't even look for gaps. Like he'd notice an obvious gap, mm-hmm. but he may not even notice there are gaps. He may not even notice that it it's chunky, like it goes thick and small and thick and small because it's like either the internals are bad or the braiding's crap. Balance. Yeah, it's yeah. all this stuff. Like they don't know. Yeah. They have no idea on this first whip if it's a good whip, if it's a crappy whip, if it's the greatest whip known to man. It's like they don't know that. So you could get away with it like, ah, that's all right. It's not that great, but he won't know any difference, and that's cool. It's good enough for a first guy. You could take that attitude, but, but again, it's like you don't know what it's going to. Not that I would do that to a first-time customer. I'm just saying it's like you still shouldn't take – where you could take that liberty, you still shouldn't. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. And because that – because in somebody – and here's another reason why these first-time whip crackers – uh, they're excited. Like they finally get a whip and they can finally crack it. They're about to do a lot of damage with whoever's whip they got to be like, I just got this from Nick. I just, where'd you get the whip? I got it from Nick, man. Who'd you say? I said Nick. Like, yeah. you talking about Nick again? Yeah, I'm talking about Nick. I got his whip right here. You want to see him on YouTube? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's, they're going to be excited and share with everyone. Yes. Yeah. You know, you're right. Yeah. And, and going back on, you know, beginner whip makers, there's a lot of really valuable groups out there online, like the Whip Maker's Hook. It's a, it's a place where you can, for the first time, make a whip, put it out there, and it's getting exposed. It's getting exposure to, you know, different whip makers, you know, to you, to Adam Winrich, to... Yeah, know, there's a lot of good people on the There's a lot of yeah. amateurs on there, too. There's, like a, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people that sit there and, and help answer your questions because they've already gone through your stumbling blocks if you're new to it. Yeah. yeah it is a great group, the, uh, the Whip Maker's Hook. Um, uh, I, I wish there were more out there. I know there's like uh, if you guys are trying to find other groups to learn, um, just type in stuff like on Facebook groups like leather, leather braiding. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mighty Turkhead is one where they just do a lot of Turkhead's knots, but you can see a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, I, I have three Facebook pages right now. One's called The Whip Community, mm-hmm. and uh, that's just but that one that one's just all about people finding people in the area or setting up whip meets. So there are like no posts on there unless you can somehow link it. To yeah. hanging out with some dude with a whip. Like, if you could be like, I was cracking this with Nick Schrader, it, it works because it's more than one person meeting together doing something whip related. As long as you can, you know, link it to me. But it's all for people to hopefully learn how to set up whip meets or to help with whip meets or, or to help meet others in the area. Um, I have another one called like the Whip Trading Community, which you can buy, sell, trade whips. But I have one called the Whip Cracking Community, which really isn't like a whip maker's hook. It's just anything went by whip, whip cracking. I was going to make a, uh, like a whip making group, but mm-hmm. the hook's already up there and mm-hmm. I wasn't really into it. Yeah. Um, I've got a, I've got a couple secret groups on Facebook though, where it's just closed group of my close friends where we, we do kind of talk about whip making, but I'm not trying to be an elitist. It's just, you know, this isn't an open door thing. You know, it's me and friends that trust each other where we, we really share what we got going on and not mm-hmm. afraid to pull out the bad and the good not that i'm afraid to let anyone know some of my bad my good because you know that's how people are they they're they're both anybody that only talks about being aces full in their hand man they're 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 just they're just lying everybody has good moments bad moments but you know it's like i i thought about getting another public group but like you said the whipmaker's hook is probably one of the best ones out there especially for novice nylon and leather and all this stuff Uh, and uh you know i just didn't really see a reason to reinvent the wheel Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, um, but yeah, there are a lot of good, good Facebook groups out there. It's good to talk to other people and, 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 and it's a good way to find some other people. Like there's a lot of people out there that may, that I sew up to that don't even get on internet or Facebook. You mm-hmm. get a lot of old time oh, guys. Oh yeah. Yep. They'll send so, you a check. Or... So sometimes I try to find yeah. people that are looking for people in the area and I try to hook them up with my other, my other customers that don't. I'll be like, Hey, I think I know three people in the Jersey area. Give me a minute. Then I'll call them up and be like, Hey guys, got this guy trying to mm-hmm. find people's area. Can I give him your information? And he was like, yeah, I do that. And then I'll 
try to help that out. But but as far as making, you know, there 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 are a lot of YouTubes. Nick's Whip Shop, you guys should check that out. I'm sure you have if you're on the Whipcast. You know who Nick is, but he's got a lot of good ones. Bernie has some old ones. He passed away, but he still has a lot of those going for a while. I don't know if they're indefinite. I think he paid for like a three year run and then they're gone. So if you get a chance, you should watch all the Bernie videos where you can. Not that I'm a big fan of everything he did in there, but you know they're going to be gone one day because when his time is up for whatever he paid for, it's up. So definitely get a hold of there. Um, what else? You know, really, if you want to get into whip making, um, you, the, the best advice I would give you is find other whips or people that have whips. <laughs> find other whip makers and people that you, you, you think you can get a connection with, an honest connection where they seem like a human being to you can get along with. Ask away. Be, be, be kind to them and respectful as because they've got to put up with a lot of patience with you answering all the same old silly basics to you over and over again so just be kind and thankful and let them know how much it means to you find a guy have a connection definitely talk to him if you can visit a whip maker i don't even care how new or crappy of a whip maker they are like how bad they are it would be beneficial to run into them and just see what they're doing in the operation from whatever you watch in your videos since apparently this is the first time you met another whip maker Whatever you watch your videos, whatever he's doing, you're gonna you're gonna either realize your methods or what you're doing you like better or are better, or you're gonna learn some new tricks. Even if he ha he makes a worse whip, you may find tricks from him that you never even thought about that could help you out too. So, but I would definitely say if you're wanting to get whip making, find someone to shadow because there are six billion of us on this planet, and we all see things differently with different walks of life and different experiences, and we all have generally there are similar questions we'll all have in different categories. But we all have different learning blocks and learning disabilities and specific questions that we have to have answered for us to really succeed or move on. And they're as varied as our hair and our skin color. So you got to have someone you could actually talk to and maybe see in front of you and it'd be a lot easier to answer it. I remember having a Casey... Uh, he was telling me about a, a snake whip core that he was making. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's basically just a triangle piece with, I guess, what you'd call the top, where it comes out of the top of the fat part of the triangle is kind of like a T-shape, like a cross. And he was trying to explain to me how he did it, and then he folded it over like a cross, and it was over the phone. I had no, like, physical thing to look at. And he kept talking about folding the two sides and the third side, but I could not figure out this fourth side where he's like, "How? Like, where is it across? Like, it's like, it's right there, though. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then he showed me a picture. I'm like, oh, yeah. The actual um, shot bag is the fourth corner of the cross. <laughs> Go but on. But like for like 20 minutes, I'm like, I can't understand it. Yeah. I can't wrap my brain. I'm like, Visual I, I had to have a visual aid or I had to have, you know, it's like, so it's good to have someone in front of you to actually ask because as much as you can hear on a video or as much as you can talk on a phone, it's like to be able to see it so you can show them with your hands or paper and draw it. Like, this is what I don't right, get. Right. Explain this to me. You yeah. know? It's, it's worth the world to you, no matter how good or bad they are. You'll learn something, you know. Absolutely. Plus, hopefully, some camaraderie. Maybe you find a new friend. Oh yeah, just just being in the presence of someone else who's a whip maker. I mean, it's such a rare thing relative to everything else. Like we're doing our best to change that. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we definitely are. Yeah. So you got a bunch of uh, newer videos that you've been putting up on your YouTube channel. You got some tutorials on there. You got some just different whip cracking videos and instruction. Talk about that. What, what's what's the name of your channel? Um, I, I, you know what? I don't even know. <laughs> I think it's just Blake Bruning. I, I thought. It might, it was... I know it might be Blake Bruning. B R U N I N G. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of might say. Trinity Whip Co. Like Trinity Father Son Holy Ghost Whip, and then Co. for comedy. But if you, it might I'll put be, the name in. It the might title. be a Trinity Whip Co. Channel. I don't remember, guys. I, I just have my face, my, my phone app, and whenever I, I'll film <laughs> it and upload it. But uh, yeah, it's either Trinity Whip Co. or it's, it's Blake Bruning. Um, I, I think uh, several years ago when I first started making whips, I said, like, you know, I'll put some basic tutorials because a lot of people ask about how do you crack a whip, and yeah. and I thought my take on those on on how to feel 
the whip. Not really watch the whip, but feel the whip was a, something I didn't really see enough people. I've never really saw anyone talk about, and I thought that was helpful. And then time went by, and I didn't really put anything on there. And then uh, I figured what started spurring it, uh, spurring it on. Um, but I started thinking that there's some things I wanted to get to see. It might have had to do with some, uh, just some conversation with other people, but I'm like, that's why I started one series that I called the... Uh, uh, whip making points of light and understanding mm-hmm. uh, the how to have the whip maker's eye. I, I need to probably actually make them specific uh, sub channels so it's easier to organize. Right now they're just all one big playlist, mm-hmm. but those are really good because I you know I I show some different whips that aren't just mine. I show some of mine, but I try to I'm trying to have that series help novice whip makers to see what they're looking at and also just whip crackers to actually see kind of what they're looking at so when they actually get a whip they can actually appreciate it that much more it's kind of like uh when i I did martial arts and i finally started getting years into it and understood what i'm really doing you know it's like used to love martial art movies and then you go back and watch like this stuff's crap i can't believe i thought this was an awesome movie right and then you you, when you're trained and then you you see a movie it's like wow that really just destroyed its credibility but then you'll find a really good one you'll be like wow that training actually made me realize that was an awesome movie not just because it is cinematic but they, they use real stuff so you know whip, whip making is very similar you know in, in that regard you know it, it can kind of play that same game here's your youtube channel it's blake bruning oh and that's your trinity whips i've i've your your video here you go right there there it is uh, yeah. i guess it is just a blake bruning channel but you can yeah. see my logo true of comedy yeah, yeah. a lot but, of great videos uh, i pointed a lot of people who are interested oh, thank in, you. In, in learning how to make yeah the, the whipmaker's eye was definitely that series on that trying to let the average person to see what's going on more so they understand how to maybe see how to do a plat count what the overall taper should look like yeah uh, how whips should look um and then then i, I launched another series you know i've been in martial arts for like 24 years 25 maybe it's 26 it's getting up there wow but i've been teaching for over 20 of them and uh and um, with, with that, um, I, I didn't do, like, I've done, a, you know, Jeet Kune Do, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Wing Chun, Filipino Kali, Muay Thai, box. I had three boxing coaches, two Muay Thai coaches. I originally started with karate, and then I did some, like, uh, Praying Manus and Dragon Kung Fu before some others. I mean, I, I've done a lot, of, a lot of Gambit through the years. Um, uh, but with the martial art training, like, even though I did some Kali, no, none of the guys I trained with used whips, although... A Filipino Kali does use, um, there, there's a spotty dagger, but there's also a whip. They do do some whip forms. And so, uh, you know, using a whip with the, the same same training. So I put together another series recently, like how I would defend myself with a whip if I yeah. had to. And that's a really cool series. If you guys want to check that on how to defend yourself with a whip. Uh, again, I'm not trying to make you card-carrying whip, <laughs> whip holders that got to register the whip and, you know, go out and fight crime. <laughs> But it's like if you did have a whip and I had to use it, it's kind of my take on what you should be looking at as your primary targets, how you should be moving the whip around and why, and realize that it's a very short amount of time even if action did happen. It's very fleeting. But that's a really good series. That's actually someone has got a lot of use for that reason, and it's because I would say it's the right, my, my take on it, but the right Filipino basic approach but with a whip. You know, like Anthony Longus has this really nice uh, demo where he kind of covers basically what that is, like Filipino martial arts, but with all the aspects of how you could use a whip. And from, you know, getting close to tying up to the lube to making it like a nunchuck or a flail or all this other mm-hmm. stuff. And it's, it's phenomenal how he puts that together. Like, it really is a nice piece when he, he puts on his little, I call it his quick seminar or his quick promo. Um, I don't know what he calls it, but it's kind of like he, he does it regularly in different performances. He does a certain, like he has a certain shtick of what he's going to do, although he, you know, yeah. He's going to actually be at the uh, 2018 Los Angeles. Uh, I hate to miss that. I was hoping to, I'd love to run into him again. Or I mean, run into him. And uh, 
Uh, but but with that, so like that series was all based on how to use a whip. But then the first three videos were talking about how you want to get used to cracking a little bit differently than you have. And then I then I actually have one of my old uh, one of my old black belts come in, and then I put uh, a motorcycle helmet on him, or a face shield. I don't think I'm motorcycle, but a face shield like a, we use in certain training. And then I have him wear a leather coat, and then I had him have a, a glove on his hand and hold a knife. And some of that was showing you how I would crack the hand, immediately crack the face, like pop, pop, and, and different strategies. And then I, I kind of build in a little bit more explanation, like what if he rushed you? Because while you're keeping him back at bay, he's going to find his moment rushing on you. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, and I know that not just because of common sense, because I have seen this stuff in my life when people are getting in fights and they pull a chain out and start swinging it around and you got to do or die and run in there. I've seen that stuff. And trust me, it's the same thing with everyone faced with that. They freeze <laughs> and then they figure out i've got to do this i'm just going to try to time the right time and it ain't yeah. going to take long before you make that determination otherwise you're sitting there while you they come in and hit you and you just you got to react fast so yeah uh, a lot of that was based more on on uh, like here's how you crack it here's my first targets but at any time this is going on he could always charge me to tackle me or wail on me or punch me or try to do this to me and so i just kind of really did a very brief um intro on that there's more you could do but it's not really that needed but I thought that was a really nice series to pop mm-hmm. out there as well. And then I kind of um, revisited the basics. I didn't make whips for years because there's a guy named, uh, I don't know if anyone's heard of him, Adam Adam Rinrich or something like that. Something you know, like uh, that. He's, win, he does winner, like the winner. two-handed stuff. I don't know, dude. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've, I've, I don't know. No, but there's a guy named Adam <laughs> Rinrich, and he, uh, you know, he, he, if you're here, you've watched his videos probably. But he's already uh, got so many great basics on there. And he probably has the biggest work on YouTube as far as how to crack with the, the, the more intermediate and advanced routines as well. And so I made my first few videos based on the basics to the basics. Mm-hmm. And then these, I decided, you know what, I'm going to remake, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a series on the basics of the fundamentals. And so I kind of did my fundamentals and, and my own take on it. But I also stopped to a point on even the double handed I put on there. Cause I'm like, well, you want all these other stuff. Like you want to do the headhunter, you want to do, you know, all these other stuff, you go to, like, just go to Adams, you know, so he's already done it. I don't need to reinvent it. I'm not trying to reinvent. Yeah, I'm not trying yeah. to watch his videos and then copy yeah. it. But I did do a, a good re-fundamental. Like, yeah. I redid the fundamentals my own way, you know, to kind of help a lot of people out there. And again, a lot of that was just requests. Like, people ask, I'm like, you know what? It's like, I've got, I've got three days. I'm like, here, honey. Talk to my daughter, like, film me and I'll, I'll do something for yeah. you for now. Yeah. I just film and I'll just burn a bunch of these out. So, yeah. Then, I can get them up there, you know. You recently got your wife into Target whipping, didn't you? Well, uh, it was a brief courtship, and then it was over, you know. <laughs> she uh, The videos, man, she was doing pretty good yeah, after a few You know, I, I, I can't imagine watching that from, like, someone else's perspective. Yeah. I, I wish I almost could, but she... Uh, you know, it's like the funniest thing about my, what I love about my wife is that we, it's the same thing that we have problems with. It's we are so polar opposite in everything <laughs> we do. Like I'm more extrovert in ways. She's more introvert. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, just the way we do everything. It's like, I, I'm, I, I never expected anyone in the world that I would ever met would ever appreciate or like anything that I liked or would ever want to do any of the things I want to do. And I made that early in my life because I like martial arts, I like skateboarding, I like all this sort of stuff. I'm like, I never expect anyone to know what I'm doing, care what I'm doing, even understand why I'm doing it or what potential I get. Because like, no one can relate with me. So I'm like, I'm always the odd, you know, in my own mind, I'm like, I'm odder than everyone else. Which, yeah. Believe me. You guys get to know me, you'll really find out that I am a little bit an oddball. I'm I'm strange in my own right, but but like uh, you know, I never expect anybody to do this, so I, I never worried about like, well, I did martial arts. My girl, it's like I'm a farmer. My kids better be farmers. It's like you know, I I know better than that. My dad was a farmer, and, and to try to explain to a farmer that I want to be a martial arts instructor, not that I exactly had this conversation, but I know how to play down. What do you want to do, son? I want to teach martial arts. Uh-huh. It's like, where's your product? How do you make money? It's like. 
well, they come in and they just pay me to spend time with me yeah. as I yeah. give them confidence and courage and help them strive to be a better you. It's like, it's like, you got no product, kid. You're going to be a failure, you know, and it's not that you had that conversation, but it's like, you know, it's like, it, 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 it's easy to see it. So it's like, I don't expect my kids to like martial arts. I don't expect my kids to like whips. I don't expect anyone to skateboard. Right. Not that I skateboard right. anymore. It's like, I don't expect people to love chess. I don't, any of the things I love, I don't, I don't really expect it. And so my wife really is that person to where she married me because I don't care for anyone to care for what I like. So I got hmm. exactly that. I got a woman that doesn't care about any of the things Like, I, I, I love recurve archery. And like, this is an example of, this is, this, this is a typical example and this is a true story. So like, um, they were gone for a week, which is rare. They went to go visit her grandmother's in like Southern Indiana. And so I was, it was cold outside. I'm like, they're gone. No one's in this house. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I've got about nine meters. So I put my archery stand in front of my bookcase and I have the in between one hallway to the kitchen. I just sat nice. back and shoot at night. You know, like I, it's like I'm home. <laughs> I got done working and teaching. I'm just going to nail it from nine, you know, nine meters away all day long. Or I, I guess you call it nine yards or whatever, you know. Yeah. And so I was just nailing it in. And then they got home and, and then all the kids are in bed. And I, I mean, I'm not shooting arrows in a house with kids that are around and around, you know. And then they're on to bed and my wife's in bed. I mean, it's like super late and I could hear if my kids are around. It's not like I'm just shooting blindly through the house in two rooms, you know. And, and then I'm like, you know what? It's like I, I, I've been stuffing candles out whips. I'm like, I'm going to put a candle up. I'm going to try to shoot, shoot it out with an arrow. Yeah. I'm only nine yards away though, right? And yeah. So I put a candle up. First one, thwack. Perfect. Arrow's nice. right on top of it. Second one, thwack. I'm like, and so, I, and so she's in the bedroom, laying on her bed. I mean, just like relax. Like she's watching, but she's just reading a book, just sitting there. And I just exuberantly come in and they'll be like, guess what I just did? You know, I'm like, she's like, yeah. And I'm like, I just, uh, just shot out some uh, candles with an arrow. And she's just looking at her book like, yeah, anything else? <laughs> You know, it's like, it's like nothing else. No. Okay. Yeah. That's great for you. Okay. See you later. You know, it's like, yeah. it's epitome of what it's like. It's like you had to be there. You know, to... It's like, it's like, it didn't matter. Like to me, I'm like, isn't that so awesome? He's like, yeah, it's great. It just okay, kills your spirit when somebody, you know, my, my buddy, Rabbit Rob came and he said, and he heard that story. He's like, that's where you immediately say to her, maybe you didn't hear what I just said. <laughs> yeah. I just you... shot out a candle with an arrow. Yeah. You know? But it's like, that's a nutshell of everything, you know, with, with how I do with everything. So, so yeah. she was never really into whip cracking. Um, you know, I got her to do it once, uh, like 10 years ago or eight years ago. She did it once and she hit herself. It's like, ah, oh, I got hurt. I ain't doing that again. And then years later, maybe four or five years later, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't really drink, but I, th I think she had, you know, a little drink in there. So she's a little more relaxed. And so uh -huh. we were walking to my parents and I was cracking whips. She's like, yeah, why not? I'm bored. I'll just yeah, give me a whip. And she started cutting leaves off. So she spent maybe a total of three hours and 10 years training before I yeah. shot that video. Wow, and then yeah. the day before I got her cracking a little bit and I had her like crack something like we're going to film it. I finally got her pushed to film it. But yeah, I had her cutting those uh, pretzels and, and that, that was fun, you know. That was, that was really like I love watching the video like I'm not a fan of really watching my I have become more of a fan of watching myself in videos because mm -hmm. I'm trying to understand how can I do it better but yeah. I'm not really a fan of watching myself but I cannot stop watching that video when I'm bored or I'm out I love the fact that I can pop up my YouTube and I get to watch my wife in a moment where we were actually just having fun isn't it, it was great captured and I can and I, I don't even need to be at my computer with it like I can get on YouTube anywhere yeah. I, I like that about it and yeah you know, we had a little bit of fun doing that and uh, the throwing them at the end was the best. Like she actually hit like four out of like eight of those that I, I I got like twenty feet back and I just I threw him like a baseball. Like I just threw him like ninja star baseball right at her. So I was like, good. And she was actually kicking him, uh, you know, like to toss them out. I was like, that's pretty impressive. Now that don't get me really wrong, cool. the thrower had to be pretty good. But <laughs> she was nailing Aim it. Aim awesome. at the cracker. Yeah, like when I toss them to her, she had all ten for ten. She snapped every one of those. And yeah. Then, 
you know, I was just like, that's freaking impressive. <laughs> and she was just so great with it. I was just like, like, you hit all of them. She's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, pretty cool, right? <laughs> and she didn't mean it like she's being cocky. She's like, yeah. she really loved yeah, it all her life. Well, yeah, it's not like she was known to be cocky. Like, yeah, I was great. It's like, she was like, yeah, it's pretty cool, right? It's yeah. like genuine, like, yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the way it is with most people. Like, I, I went down to Florida with uh, my mother and my aunt. I don't know if you saw that video. It was a little vlog that I made. And I taught my 74-year-old aunt how to crack a whip. That's awesome. And she did great, you know? My cousins that I hadn't seen in a while they you know i showed them how to do it and they loved it they yeah i'll be able really to quick. break that sound barrier it just right, it does some people like i think that steve uses that as his logo is it's like the the speed what is it the the speed of sound on the palm, the palm of your hand, hand. Yeah. yeah i think that's what yeah. he came up to yeah. you know it is like, yeah look what that does for somebody to make that crack and and this is why i can't express enough why when you teach someone new teach them how to do the cir- the cattleman's crack i sometimes call it the circus crack yeah. just because that's how i heard it first years ago i'm trying to correct myself that out <laughs> but it is also called the circus crack but it's called cattleman's but you teach them a cattleman's they don't have to do anything else with a cattleman's crack established within 10 to 15 minutes you can now have them cut targets cut leaves try to snuff out candles even if this person spends 100 times they'll eventually snuff out one candle and even if they don't they don't care. They will crack it a hundred times just trying to get that flame yes. out. And 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 I love the first session with someone. I show them what to do. I give them a few reps one way, a few reps another way. Then I have them crack it. And within 15 minutes from the initial start, we put them on candles. And yeah. when they finally snuff out that candle, oh, that the feeling. first day crack, yeah. I'll turn and look at them and be like, how'd that feel? And they all do the same thing. They just sit there like... I gotta tell Whoa. you, that felt really good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that felt amazing. I'm like, all right. Cracking whips, uh. putting out candles, as well as making whips. It's just so. It's a very satisfying uh. feeling, you know, uh. creating that art. I remember a video that Bernie made. He said something along the lines of, "You know, whip making. Uh, you're not gonna get rich off of it, most likely, but it's very satisfying. You know. Yeah. And yeah. that's. I found that to be quite. I, true. I'd and like to think that anybody that majors in their career, there was a calling there that got nurtured. Like mm-hmm. there, there was a calling for them to do it without passion. I used to think that anybody can get good at anything they want to do. It doesn't matter how much limitations or how bad they are. Of course, a complete quadriplegic isn't probably going to surf well. You know, but right. but I'm just saying. You know, like it doesn't matter how smart you are if you do have, if you are missing an arm. You know, I mean, it's like you you could literally overcome any obstacle and find your own way to do it. I mean, there there's people out there with cerebral palsy doing Brazilian jitsu. You know, there's yeah. different people that have handicaps. But they still make it work. You know, it's like it's like that's okay. But I just think that anybody had the potential to be good at anything they want. Mm-hmm. But I've changed my stance. I still believe that. But you got to have the most important element is you have to be passionate yes. about it because yes. if you're not passionate about it. You will not get good if your kids aren't having fun. They will not uh, playing piano. They will stop playing piano. Mm-hmm. You got the teacher is more important than what you're learning. Uh, this is something I've learned. Is it's better to find like you want your kids to learn music. I know they want to play guitar, but you need to find the best teacher that will teach them the love of music. And when time comes, they can learn a guitar. But if you give them a great guitar teacher that sucks at being a teacher, but is great at guitar, yeah. they're going to have frustration. They're going to yes. hate it. The teacher is more important. So there should be a passion there. And if they, you don't have that passion, you're not going to get better. So I told Nick earlier, like, practice makes perfect, right? Mm-hmm. And that's my usual trap. I'm like, yeah, it does. I'm like, I'm like yep. nope, only perfect <laughs> practice makes perfect. And without that passion, you can sincerely do something bad over and over again and never get better. Like, just because you make a whip doesn't mm-hmm. mean you made it any better. And, and sometimes I'll make these phrases, and, and don't get me wrong, like, uh, when people that watch your videos and Bernie's videos, and I, you know, everybody say it, and you know that I'm not saying it out of anger or meanness or anything. Mm-hmm. But, but I kind of have a term for the people that watch 
watch the videos and then, and then make the whips. And my, my term is just called copy and pasters. Now, it's not an insulting thing, and I want to elaborate because you ever hear me say, you know why. What I call them, I call them the, the leather burning copy and pasters or the Nick Nylon copy and pasters. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's not to be an insulting term. What I'm just saying is you watch this six-foot video, and then you, you copy and paste. You're like, okay. And just what she did. He made it for you to give it to you like this. Like, you need a strand this long. You need 12 strands this long. You need a nail spike like this. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. But the thing is, you know, when you see these new whips, like you can always tell if it's a Nick Schrader classic because anytime somebody puts it on the hook, like here's my latest bull whip, it'll look exactly <laughs> like that whip he made on the video. And, and I call them copy and pasters, not to be derogatory, not to insult it, but that just kind of explains the process. And the thing is, you could copy and paste the same video for your next 50 whips, but even if you try, even if Nick tried to, even if you, Nick, tried, we talked about this earlier, try to copy and paste the same whip. Like even if you try to make the same whip and you cut everything out back to back and you braid them, there's something's going to be different. No matter how much you try, something will be different. No yeah. matter, even if your same formula cut to a T, something's thicker, something's thinner, something's not working right here, something got bound. I mean, nothing comes out the same. So even trying to match it, even if you think, you know, you can kind of call nylon a little bit more of the science and less art, and I would I usually call leather. The least way I do leather is like it's more art than science. Freehanding versus coloring. And, well, that, yeah, just like all the you're working with all your meat. It's like a sculptor dealing with yeah. it. And like not that nylon doesn't have that. Nylon takes a lot of art to make a a very nice nylon whip. There's a lot of artistic skill, but I just mean that there's a little more science because as Nick pointed out, it's like well you have strands already cut at certain yes. widths, so yes. you really have to have your math down. Like if you want to make a seven six turk head knot. And you put it on there and it doesn't look right, odds are you can't change the strand. You need to change how fat your heel Foundation. nut is. So there's a lot more math that you need to solve to make what you got fit. Well, I could just make a thicker strand or a thinner strand, right? I could do other things to compensate. You can't. So, you know, but with this, he's copy and paste. Like I said, even if you copied and pasted his whip, it'll pretty much look like it when you're done, but it can't be exactly like it. And even if Nick, if you, if you did it, it's still one of, if you watch your video, I, I dare you to do that. You watch your video. <laughs> You try to do what Nick said <laughs> six, seven years ago and try to make that work. I think that'd be hilarious. And you should film it would yourself. be. You should film yourself watching your own video. I don't want to do that. That's a I terrible idea. I know you don't idea. want to, but do it anyways and see how close yeah. it comes. But it's like there's going to be variations. Right, you, right. You, you, you still can't copy and taste, paste it perfect. So that's what I mean by practice doesn't make perfect, yeah. only perfect practice. So you can practice making that video of Nick's and copy and paste all day long, mm -hmm. but you won't get any better if you just copy and paste every detail. you got to copy and paste to make something, and you got to do it for a while to make something. But what I'm saying is you got to start taking liberties and seeing how you want to fix it in the way you want mm -hmm. and not just completely copy and paste. There's nothing wrong with copy and pasting, and there's nothing wrong with you doing it to start off. But if you're going to grow, you got to change. Now... Everything in life, the only thing that's constant in life is change. Mm -hmm. Now, without change, nothing, you know, you have to have change to improve. Not all change is beneficial, but without change, nothing improves. So yeah. you've got to try some new things and you've got to recognize whether it was good or not and add it or leave it. A lot of times people will ask me in comments on videos, hey, Nick, can I use this? Can I do that? Can I, can I take different size ball bearings and taper them in a core? And... I always say, I've, or when I haven't tried it, I like to just make it clear. I've never tried that, but don't let that stop yeah. you from trying yeah, it. I've heard just that. because it's Nick great. didn't, you yeah. know, do it, you do it, man. You you explore that new territory. It's probably if it, it's a great idea, I'll do it. I'll start yeah. doing it and give credit to you. You know what I mean? So it's like. Yeah, no, we'll, experiment man yeah, we'll call it we'll, what's your name jimmy we'll call it the jimmy and every yeah, time exactly. now when i make my next six foot tutorial the when jimmy the palms up I'm like this technique's called the jimmy yeah. 
Jimmy76 at Hooters told me, <laughs> whatever the tag is, <laughs> yeah. told me this, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, I do the same thing. I've done it in my martial arts career, too. I'm like, I, I would teach these seminars on how to get up off the ground three seconds flat. You yeah. Because you got to get up and be ready for the next person. You can't just roll on the ground. Yeah. And I, and I, and I always just like, here's what I'm going to show you. Here's how to circumvent it. And I'm like, if you can find a better way, show it to me. And I'll teach it, and I'll add it to my segment. And I will always tell for the rest of my life, as I go around teaching people, Nick Schrader showed me this tip. I did everything but that. He showed me that. I like that forever. This is this is credited to Nick. You know, like yeah, by all means, man. You know, have that open minded to accept and change and grow. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the hard thing. You know, like you got to be ready to. Uh, I doubt you'll ever see anything out there when you start making whips. You've been there for a while to where it completely changes your your foundation of understanding. Where you think, mm-hmm. what have I been making this whole time? It's like mm-hmm. I'm not even making a whip. But there'll be subtle things that, you know, you, you'll want to try and you, you need to try to get different and try new things. Maybe you go back to it, but if you don't try it, you don't learn what you need to learn so that you're better. Like, even if you don't even want to do that again, you now know what that did and what it could do. Maybe it'll come in later. Maybe it won't. Maybe it just re-illustrates why you're already doing what you're doing is right. But don't be afraid to try something new. Now, I want to take a new order from Adam Winrich or... If Anthony got one or somebody else that's like really high up or if I got a movie deal, I wouldn't use that time to experiment. Okay, guys, what I'm talking about is when you you have downtime or down orders or if you're just making them for fun, that's the time to experiment. Mm-hmm. I would not do a lot of experimenting with a page. With order. an order, yeah, you know, exactly. That's why usually I'll sell something. I'll be like, well, this was a prototype. doesn't mean it's bad. It just means, well, I did some things out of the box or I tried new things or I, I, I made a whole new – maybe I made a whole new whip like a saber whip. Those were complete prototypes. Yeah. but. These are a prototype, and I can explain, well, there's nothing wrong with this, this, but this turned out this way, or it's like, this is a unique thing. This is a prototype. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't make a prototype for for an order, because the guy, theoretically, if he bought something from you, has seen your work. Mm-hmm. He Measuring sees the whip buying. he wants. He's buying that whip just in different colors. It needs to come out like that whip, mm-hmm. not a whole nother device, you know. Exactly. I don't quibble about a millimeter or two. Oh, no, it's 26 millimeters. <laughs> it's like, well, I'd rather be 22, 24, 23. But, oh, well, it's 26, man. Big deal. Don't freak out. Yeah. Send yeah. it to the dude. It's As long as the taper's still good to the bottom, it'll all work out right, you know? Yeah. Th- there was a time where I had a whip order, and um, the guy just ordered a six-foot whip, 12-inch handle, and I really needed to make a video, uh, my tutorial on, on doing the ferrule and how to install right. those, how I like to do it. So I actually emailed him and said, hey, man, I, I need to make a video. How would you feel about having a free ferrule on your whip? I know you didn't order it. And he's like, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So just if you if you do want to experiment in minor ways, you know, just letting them know, hey, w- would you mind if I if I tried something a little different on this? It won't it won't uh, jeopardize the overall um, strength of the whip or this or that, but something little something I want to try here. And if they say no, you know, don't well, of course, don't do it. But they say, yeah, give it a... Yeah, that, that's a good thing, dude. That's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, And I would do things like it, too, like... Uh, if I ever did do something a little out of the norm, and yeah. you know, I, I have a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. But if if I ever did try something new, we talked about. It, I said, "Hey, man, I think I know what you want. I want to try something new." I always give a, I always have a hundred percent satisfaction guarantee. But mm-hmm. I definitely put it out on that whip, and I say, "I tried something new. I haven't tried this. I I think it might. I don't know if it'll give the desired effect you want, but let's do it. And if you don't love it, you just crack that thing to your content mm-hmm. until I get your replacement out in one week." Mm. Mm-hmm. You know, so I also give that as a way to get a prototype. I'll be like, I like this. Like, uh, uh, Brian traded some whips uh, to me, some uh, used whips, because he wanted an eight foot TOD of mine and tried it out. 
And uh, he's talking about he wanted this like a uh, target whip. And so I was like, you know, he's talking about, well, I want an eight foot. I wanted an indie, but I want to be able to target with it. So I thought, you know what? I've never took an eight inch snail spike, but then kind of thin certain things out and tapered away. I make my target whips to see if I could make a target yeah. eight foot indie. And so I did some things different. I made it a finer point. I even thinned up the fall. And he said it cracked great, but he couldn't volley it worth anything. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and, and so I said, oh, that's great. You know, send it back to me. But it's like, you know what? Like, I could have just sent him a standard, like, sent him a, a standard, like a normal standard indie, like right off uh-huh. the it, it bat. And that's what he loves anyway. So it worked out great. He loved it. Mm. But the first one didn't. But I, but I also said, hey, man, I'm going to try something different. Mm-hmm. It's like, if you don't love it, let me know, and I'll get started on the hmm. second one. But if I wouldn't have tried that, it's, it, he said it cracked great on single cracks. Just It didn't seem to want to volley well. But because I did that, even though I, I now have that and it didn't work out, I make another one. I now know what I did and how that affected a whip and why maybe I will never do that again or yeah. why I would do it in certain situations. Or now I know how that affects yeah. a whip like that. So it just it gives you insight to even to, to experiment and try these different things. Sometimes they, they, you, you find out you have a new product no one's ever made. And sometimes you find out you just got to go back to the drawing board. But if you don't, you know, for, fortune follows the brave. Or it's like if you, if you don't risk anything, you don't gain anything. If you don't wake up and step out of bed, nothing happens, you know. Well, now that you guys know that this man has a 100% uh, satisfaction guarantee on his products, <laughs> where can we go about ordering a whip from Blake Bruning? Um, I would suggest go to trinitywhipco.com yeah. um, or you could just Google Trinity Whips, Trinity Blake Bruning. I mean, anything will find, but Trinity Whipco and you'll find anything of mine. But yeah. um, I, my, I have a Facebook page of Trinity Whips and I have a lot more on there than I ever put on my website. I haven't updated my website too much, so but you'll find some good stuff on my website. Um, you know, you can, like I said, you can email me at trinitywhipco at yahoo.com or feel free to call me at 317-407-0153. And if you're international, please join Facebook. You can message me through Facebook if you want to talk to me and through messenger, we can just call as long as you can speak some, you know, some English. If not, we'll just translate it through, through Mm. text easily. But, uh, any of those ways you can get a hold of me. Um, I'm usually pretty quick to get you know get my phone and respond. Um, I teach in the evenings, Monday through Thursday, so there's like only three hours I can't get a hold of someone, and then I'll I'll, I'll go over my messages when I walk out of the mat. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm usually pretty quick to answer or pretty quick to return a call. Unless my hands are full of grease, I'm over braid. You know, like you know, there's certain things I'll want to do uninterrupted. Like uh, like I want to braid the overlay completely uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. That is something I try to do is that, that I sit down like when I'm going to braid this, I will not quit till it's done. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to take a break every two or three feet and then walk away and do stuff yeah. and come back hours later. And that, and that that's not just because of uh, what I want to do. It, 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 I, there are reasons why if you do a half and half, it'll make a worse whip. Like uh and uh, Adam kind of lightened me on this, although I've noticed it. Um, like, if, if you braided a whip to the halfway point, first of all, if you braid a whip and then you tie it off, and then you walk away. Well, let's just say I braided it one day, and now after you braid about five feet and tie it off because it's a 10-footer, you, you're you not pulling as hard on that fifth foot as you, you were on the first foot. Yeah. So now I go to sleep, and now I'm refreshed, and I'm not even from the same day of how I was pulling, even though you may just have a general pull. Uh-huh. So now when you start, after picking it up, you're going to pull tighter like you did on the first half, and that'll cause that stiff spot in the middle or that hard spot sometimes just because that's where you quit. So two things to do. One, braid an overlay in one sitting. Two, yeah. when and this is what, what this is a good trick. Like So once I tied it off, don't just undo that hitch and start braiding. 
unbraid maybe like like uh, three inches. Mm, so good point, because good point. it's all tightened like a couple inches back from where you're, like your current plat set, maybe a couple inches behind that, everything's stuck in that tight mode with that half inch. Mm-hmm. So you want to unravel enough, maybe like 12 or 24 plats, so you know, like a whole set or two, so that you're back to where it was tighter because it sat there. And, and if it did loosen up, it would have loosened up in that last inch or two. So unbraid a little bit if you did do a half and a half day and then braid the rest. But that's hmm. one reason why you guys might find this really uh, stiff spot in the halfway point is they braided half left went to sleep got up fully rejuvenated was pulling like a champ yeah at a halfway point that wasn't pulled that hard before i can definitely see why you choose to do it all in one sitting it's like somebody gets a 12 foot whip they roll it out oh the, th- the first three feet of the way this rolls out blake was in a good yeah. mood yeah. Yeah. the yeah. next couple of feet he you was know, mad I, <laughs> I don't really think the average person would notice it too much unless they right. really held their whip and look right. for it like that's the thing that i never looked for until it was brought to my attention i'm like oh crap it's like i never thought of that and it's like now when you get a whip you look for that like uh I had one whip I sold really cheap because I had the heel foundation and, uh, and whatever it was. And I think it turned out, uh, what I believe it was, is that it wasn't lashed down good on my core. And everything on that heel foundation was over that core. Yeah. And no matter what I did, there was a very slight swivel on the heel knot. And I sold the whip really cheap for that reason. And uh, the guy who has it today still loves it. But uh, you know, I warned him like, "Hey, you know, it's, just, it's not much. But if I squeeze hard and twist, I can I feel a little movement." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, "I probably wouldn't even notice it if I didn't have a ridiculous test where I squeeze the whip hard and twist it." But that all happened because I had me once. So like, one of my my check throughs is like, "I check this, I check this, yeah, I check that. All right, no swivel." So unless you've been exposed to it, you even think to check it, yeah. and, and and it probably won't affect the whip overall that much. But like I said, you're talking about like Adam Winrich where the whip is a complete extension of his hand and thought, mm-hmm. he, he can roll out a whip and notice a lot more. Like if you gave if I gave 10 basketballs to Michael Jordan and I said bounce these, he could probably come back after a quick bounce and be mm-hmm. like, these two are great, these eight are terrible. <laughs> these are yeah. what you would shoot with because these aren't these aren't balanced right or yep. rolling right. You know, and so yeah. it'd almost take a mile. Like I couldn't do that. I could take a basketball like, well, I think that needs more air, but he'd be like, no, no, these are all crap. These are the ones you play the game with. And, yeah. and like that's something Adam could do over me, you know. Well, Blake, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show, my friend. Um, let's go uh, let's go work on some whips, man. That sounds great, man. Sounds good, brother. Right. Awesome. We'll see you guys later. <laughs>